Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Conversation and welcome to our first episode for the year 2022, or as Joe Biden would say, the year 2020. So, uh, welcome tonight. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, one of the things we're going to be doing new here for the show, so if you are a, a listener out there, uh, we do have, uh, I know we have, of course, the conservatives, many libertarians. And maybe even some liberals out there, but we are actually looking for a liberal panelist for the show uh, because we are certainly looking for uh, your input as well. And of course, it does make for some interesting conversation. We just have one criteria, and that is, of course, that you can have a, a civil conversation, which unfortunately is lacking a lot in our political discourse uh, of lately. But uh, that won't be it tonight. Uh, tonight we are uh, joined from U.S. Senate candidate Mark Pekita. 
and we are looking forward to speaking with him shortly. Uh, so certainly uh, join our roundtable discussion. Uh, as Bard's Logic uh, welcomes U.S. candidate Mark Petuta, our call-in number is 347-945-7428. Uh, call in to our show not only to make comments or ask a question, but also join in our conversation. And about our guest uh, this evening is that uh, he is an American first constitutional uh, constructionist, small government, conservative Republican, uh, considers himself a citizen candidate, and also a uh, Donald Trump American First Agenda, and still is a supporter of that. Uh, it says he is frustrated with the direction of the country and the horrific way President Trump was being treated. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, this is how just you know on Twitter uh, going back and forth with someone who basically was saying that Trump was only for Trump, and my response to him was. If, if Trump was only for Trump, he certainly would not have ran again in 2020 after the abuse that he received by the, both the media and the political class, both Republicans and Democrats, especially Democrats, but certainly some Republicans too. And we're still seeing it today as uh, the Democrats are trying to push their, uh, you know, January 6th to 2021 uh, narrative about it being a so-called insurrection even though no one has been charged with sedition. And the only person uh, killed uh, during that event uh, was an unarmed female veteran uh, by an armed officer, which I thought liberals thought that overzealous armed you know, officers killing people is not tolerable. It's unacceptable. Uh, I guess when it comes to them killing Trump supporters, uh, that's okay in their book. You have to be a you know criminal that sticks a gun towards a pregnant woman's belly in order to get any kind of justice uh, in America, at least for them. But anyway, getting off topic here, that's something I'm uh, really passionate about. But, uh, but we do have uh, him on the line, so let's go ahead and open uh, up the mic for Mark. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. That's Robert, right? It is Robert, yeah. Hi, Robert, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And so running for Senate, now one of the things, at least in a, you know, for Ohio Senate, and this is going to be just get right to it, uh, you know, we've interviewed a couple of folks already who are running, such as Josh Manziel for one, um, but also it's a pretty crowded field. I mean, now I think – that it's a crowded field because Port one, I mean Portman's on his way out, and he was you know kind of a favorite and got elected a lot both in primaries and in you know the general election. But when he decided because he he could see the wave of rhinos not going to be reelected in their primary, <laughs> that he decided not to run. At least that's my take on it. Um, and so we've the the field is pretty full, and I, I think people. I'm not saying this for yourself. I'm just saying in general, uh, Mark, is that I think there's that sense out there that whoever is going to be the Republican nominee for Senate in Ohio, at least one of the seats, uh, they're, they're going to be a senator because there's probably a good chance, at least in my estimation, that whoever uh, does win the, you know, the primary for Portman 
is probably going to find themselves in the Senate, especially with the way things are going here uh, across the country and how Biden's numbers have been looking. Yeah, I would think that that would be true. Although making it through the primary into the general, I as a candidate would not take that for granted. Um, we're, we're in very, very different, and I would call it uncharted or uncertain times. And we'd like to think that that has swung in the direction of America first conservative constitutional, let's say, citizen candidates, because we're fed up with career politicians, especially on the other side of the aisle. But it really is a bizarre kind of environment right now. You know, we're extremely polarized as a country. If I were to do a poll based on masks, I wouldn't be as confident as I am just looking at polling data or issue data or things like that. So um, I think that our, our race, my race, is an absolute horse race to the finish, and we can talk a little bit about that. We've done some surveying. I wouldn't call it polling, and it's, it's netted some really interesting results. Well, I've never been a real big fan um, of a lot of polls, especially that you know this far out. But you said it's not really polls, but but surveys. So certainly be interested uh, to hear into that. And, and just if we do see you want, you'd like to get in, uh, one of our panelists this evening. We're also waiting to hear from Kelly. Uh, I've not yet heard from Kelly. I don't know if uh, if his girlfriend's keeping him at bay or what. <laughs> so it's a little inside joke with me and Kelly. But anyway. Um, but Joseph, I do see you there on, on the line. We'll get to in. But, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, so with these surveys, since you brought it up, let's go ahead and put it out there. What are your surveys showing? So, so we did a, uh, a survey, and it was it, survey. It, in the sense of, of, of polling, it would be called a push poll because it was a, an email that went out introducing people to me you know, promoting my candidacy, but then we did a very kind of fair, if the election were held today, the primary election, who would you vote for? And we put everybody on the polls. They, they, everybody's been leaving me off the polls, um, and I believe it's because I'm the outsider candidate that's been criticizing the Ohio Republican Party, and I, we can talk about what makes me different, but... but yeah, when, that's not going to help your cause any with, uh, with them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what what we found was that we had a 60 or 64 percent number of undecided of the folks who filled in the, the survey completely. And everybody that started, it did. And everybody else but one to three candidates, not including me, were uh, all of us all of us were very very close except for one to three candidates depending upon how you you did the cutoff so matt dolan who's in the race uh had the lowest numbers and then there were a few that were you know closer to the pack but the rest of the pack was uh, within a few percentage points now i was i i i in this poll, even if we factored out people who we knew were my supporters that were in our database, we, we took them out. I was leading, but it was a push 
uh, um, message, right? So it, you could consider it to be a push-pull, but even if you took my numbers and, and cut them in half or in a quarter, I'd still be in that top three to four candidates. And I think that nobody wants to admit where we are, where I am as a candidate, because it goes against the entire narrative of this top-down, uh, the Ohio Republican Party is going to tell Republican voters who their candidates are, and, and you're just going to vote based on their selection, which is why we're fighting Ohio Republican Party primary endorsements, um, because it's the way that the party rigs the game against voters. It keeps new blood from getting into uh, Republican races. And it's just the wrong thing to do. So we're fighting it very, very hard, along with a few other things that we can get into. But that's kind of where we are. So I look at it this way. Everybody except maybe Matt has a shot at this thing right now. Our goal will be over the next few months to educate voters not only on our extensive, committed, in-writing policy commitment to Ohio voters, uh, but also where we're different from the rest of the candidates. Yeah, certainly. I mean, because it is a really, uh, really crowded field. I mean, you got J.D. Vance, Bernie Moreno, Josh Vandell, as you said, Matt Dolan. Um, Jane Timken, Mike yeah, Gibbons. You know, Yeah, now where did um, – because I've been seeing a lot of commercials in my locality uh, for um, Timken. I've been hearing a lot – seeing her a lot of commercials. Now, Jane Timken, she was uh, – like, she was actually in the organization itself for the Republican Party. Yeah. She was the, um, she was the chairman of the Ohio Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, up until she elected to run earlier in the year after Rob Portman decided he wasn't going to run for reelection. I'm the only candidate in the race, Robert. I'm the only candidate in the race who registered and announced that I was primarying Rob Portman, a sitting U.S. senator. Everybody else got in after he – I specifically used the word quit because while you can try to put – um, uh, rapping on this thing, he realized that there was no way he was going to get reelected. Re- grassroots Republicans believe that Rob Portman didn't do a thing they sent him to Washington to do, and he's and they believe he's just a, another swamp rhino. When they see him on the in in a press conference with Joe Biden, Mitt Romney, and all the other uh, socialist Democrats. Uh, promoting the the quote-unquote bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is, we all know, is 80 to 90 percent or more pork, Uh, there's just no way that Rob Portman would get reelected. So uh, my my sense is he didn't want to go out with an L on his record, and that's that's why he – that's because he'll be worth more in the lobbying community or whatever without that L. And uh, that's when everybody else got in. So my question to them would be, 
did you think Rob was doing a good job and thus you didn't want to primary him? Or were you afraid of him, you know, afraid of his clout and his money? Because I'm not sure what the other answers are other than I just on a whim after he left in January or February, I decided to run for U.S. Senate, right? I've been registered since October 2019 when I was just fed up with him and quite honestly fed up with the the uh, kind of the swamp rhino Republicans that weren't supporting Donald Trump. And, and it's more Donald Trump's agenda, policy agenda than anything else. So that's kind of where I'm, that's one of the many differentiation points between me and the other candidates. And do you think, uh, you know, because of those different positions she's, uh, you know, held within the, the party itself, you know, she's gotten, like, endorsements from, like, Christy Noem and, and, and people of that nature? Yeah, there's no question about that. It's those connections. And, and I'm sure, you know, what, what many, many voters don't understand is the quid pro quos that go along with these endorsements. You know, the I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. I'll hold fundraisers. I'll find people to donate to you. You come in and give me the endorsement, right? So, it's it's all about the money. It's not necessarily about who's the best candidate. I think Jane Tim one of Jane Timken's biggest problems is going to be the fact that she presided over two things. One, basically, she she gave up party control to Larry Householder. I mean, he was running that party, whether we like to admit it or not. The second thing is that she provides presided over the cover up a continuing cover-up of about $2 million of accounting inconsistencies within the Ohio Republican Party that now Bob Paducek has taken over for her, from her. Bob Paducek and Dave Johnson, who's the treasurer and also the head of the Republican Party in Columbiana County, they are fighting an audit of the books because they do not want people to know where that two million dollars left. I'm not it went. I'm not suggesting that money went in anybody's pockets, but I think if Ohio grassroots Republican voters knew where that money went, what candidates it, that money went to, uh, they'd they'd be really angry. And uh, prized, you say really about the two million dollars, but but not really because this has been out there, and and, and there's no question about it. Uh, but but. It has gotten very little press, and the Ohio Republican Party doesn't want to talk about it. So we have been making it an issue, and one of the reasons why I'm making it an issue is I guarantee you day one as the candidate, the Republican nominee for Senate, I'm going to stand up there, and Tim Ryan is going to be talking about this. And and I want to be the person that has uncovered this or brought it to grassroots voters' attention and has forced a solution prior to the May 3rd primary. So that's one of our goals. You know, our goal in uncovering this is to get them to do something about it. I think Paducic and Dave Johnson need to resign. And there needs to be an absolute regime change in the Ohio Republican Party come May 3rd when that entire state central committee body is up for, for re-election. 
So, so yeah, it is May, which wow, it's gonna be that's gonna be here quicker than you you know we know it. And that, Absolutely. and we're gonna get uh, Josephine in a minute, and then we're gonna go to uh, you know some you know questions I hear about your you know what your agendas will be and your policies, things of that nature. Is do you have a timeline in which you would be like putting out? Because I mean that would be some things I would imagine uh, you'd want to have out on you know, the airwaves, the local airwaves, like in, um, you know, ads and things of that nature. What do you plan on putting out yeah. the ads? So the ads have started this week uh, on radio, talk radio, on iHeartRadio, and on Salem. And the first two weeks, uh, this week and next week, will be um, ads about the Ohio Republican Party and, and getting it cleaned up, and then we'll, we'll move into a series of seven additional ads. I've already cut them, so I, I know what they are. And they will get more pointed, we'll get more focused on issues and opponents uh, to differentiate us. So that'll come this month, and then depending upon the results we get from them, will determine where we go in February, March, and even into April. And, and lastly, before I bring in Joseph, is that, you know, by, by bringing this up, you know, do you believe that, you know, with the, the $2 million and cleaning up the Republican Party, things of that nature, uh, do you think that the liberals and the, or the Democrats will be able to use, you know, maybe some of the negative, because this has been done in the past, some of the information from those negative ads against the Republicans in, in the general election? Okay, that 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 train left the station two or three or four years ago. I mean, this started in 27, 2018, and it's been known. The, 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 the issue right now is that nothing is being done about it other than it's being covered up. So it's not going to be my ads and my attention that bring, you know, uh, potential opposition kind of research uh, backlash. What, what I'm trying to do is head off, head that off at the pass when everybody else seems to be okay sweeping it under the rug. It seems that it's more important to the Ohio Republican Party to get their candidate into the general election as opposed to winning the general election. They are so con- seem to be so concerned about getting the candidates that they handpick into the general they're not even thinking about the electability of those people because of these issues in the general versus Democrat competition. I mean, it's stunning to me. I'm a citizen candidate. I've never run for office before. The, the ineptitude, incompetence, lack of ethics, lack of character, uh, lack of honesty in the Republican Party in Ohio is, is just staggering to me. I knew it was bad. It's ten times as bad as I thought it was. Well, and then you mentioned something on your website about the wine, and we'll, we'll dig more into that uh, later on in the program. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. Happy New Year to you. How are you? Hey, uh, how are you, Robert? Uh, Happy New Year to you. Thank you. It's, you uh, good, good to be back. <laughs> we have Kelly on, on, on the line, you. so we'll be welcome Kelly later. Go ahead, Jason. No, no problem. Um, 
As you know, due to conflict of interest, I I can't uh, opine um, on our guest uh, that uh, is running for Senate. However, I do wish him the best of luck with all sincerity, and I commend him for having the courage to enter a very big race with a lot of uh, contenders vying for the primary and the general. Um, Other than that, uh, maybe I'll get you to another uh, caller where they may want to ask the gentleman some questions. And then later on, we could segue into different topics. But, Robert, it feels like a million years that I haven't been back on the show. It's great to have you back, Robert. I'm glad the People Show is back it's on good, air. It's good to be At back. Let's keep, it, yeah, keep it rolling. We got, uh, we got some interesting uh, weeks coming up. Uh, we've got uh, right. Jack Lombardi coming back on next week. And then we have someone who's working on, uh, you know, a petition to get on a uh, ballot here uh, in Ohio. Uh, House Bill 248 that uh, our local politicians have been pretty much ignoring. Uh, she'll be coming on the week after that, and then we're working on uh, having someone come in uh, later on the month. I just haven't got his confirmation yet uh, for him coming in, and that will be uh, Michael Johns. Uh, we're working on oh. him uh, the, the last week uh, of the month, so we're going to we're, we're going to try to. He's a National Tea Party Movement co-founder, former White House speechwriter, uh, and uh, a heritage policy analyst. So we're, we're working on getting him uh, in at the, the end of the month. So. And one more programming note. The People Show is not only back on track, but it has a new time, ladies and gentlemen, starting at 8, ending at 11, Eastern Standard Time. Every Wednesday, don't forget to dial. It's The People Show. I give it back to you, Robert. Yeah. Thanks, Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yale got a new time. Uh, used to be 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., uh, but now we're, we're here. So we'll go ahead and uh, just uh, push the one on your number dial uh, when you're ready to get in. Uh, but, you know, going over your agenda, uh, Mark, is that you describe your agenda as a disrupt agenda, a disruption agenda. And what do you mean by this, and how would you dissuade uh, the predictable fear from the left, uh, the, at least the fear they'll try this way. Oh, my gosh, there's a candidate out there who's trying to – he calls his agenda. It's a disruption agenda. So maybe we can uh, explain that what that actually is to, to, to sway some of the fears that the left's going to probably try to instill in, in, in voters <laughs> for you to be in a general election. Right. So we can talk about that. So the disrupt agenda uh, – it's kind of the high-level breakdown of kind of the philosophy with which we're, we're uh, the philosophy with which we uh, make decisions in Washington and legislate. And then we've got a 21-point policy guide. I did have a question though for Joseph. What is his conflict of interest? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to answer for you, Joseph. So if you could give us a not, you know, just a synopsis of sure, sure sure and what, what 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 was the question i was asked again my apologies he, he wants to know what your conflict of interest is <laughs> um it's kind of tricky I've, I've i've signed a non-disclosure agreement and so I, I i can't go into those details but uh part of those uh uh stipulations don't require me um i mean require me not to uh engage in any commentary uh, at the moment uh, that could change. 
uh, with anyone running for uh, office, whether it be the left, the right, libertarian, uh, wouldn't make a difference. So it's uh, bound by my non-disclosure agreement, and um, you know, uh, I do apologize that I can't be more specific, but um, that's really what it boils down to. So you're not working for another candidate in my race. Um, I I can't I can't disclose uh, any any of that. Uh, I can't even tell you if the sky is uh, purple or blue. To be honest with you, sir, and I mean that with all respect. Not being uh, sarcastic or anything. Well, that's not very straightforward, though. Uh, it may not be, but um, you know, hey, I'm bound by a non-disclosure agreement, and uh, I have to abide by that. Um, you know, if I didn't abide by that, then non-disclosure agreements uh, would be uh, moot. Um, they would have no uh, power in it if everyone just went and they violated the non-disclosure agreements well, that they've signed. But, but, but one thing I, I mean I can disclose you is the state that you're in, correct? Uh, yeah, that's no problem. You can disclose the state that I'm in. That's that's no secret. That's you're in the state of North fine. Carolina, correct? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Yeah. So that being, you're in the state of North Carolina. I don't know where is that would in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying it, say anything, just I'm just saying I, I sound like there might be. Some things with Mark, but no, I mean, I don't think with what his question was about anybody in his race, I would say with you being in North Carolina, my thought would be that, you know, whatever it is has nothing to do with the the race in which he's uh, he's in now. Because you're in North no, Carolina. No, it's <laughs> correct. It has nothing the, to do with you're his in, race. You're in Ohio. Oh. <laughs> Correct, but um, you know the problem with most non-disclosure agreements are they're very weak. They don't have a lot of power in it. So a lot of people tend to break non-disclosure agreements. Uh, they don't take them seriously, and that's been an ongoing problem for you know quite a while. And so this non-disclosure agreement that I've signed is so powerful to put the fear of God Almighty in it. And unfortunately, it's the bad apples that has ruined it for the good ones. Unfortunately, these days, uh, you have to uh, really ratchet it up to, um, you know, make sure that the person who signs that is uh, aware that um, if he or she violates any of the terms of the contracts, divulges any information, whistleblower, et cetera, that there will be severe, severe repercussions. Otherwise, if we don't start, you know, creating uh, strong ones or implementing them, uh, NDA is just going to turn out in the end just to be a, a word with no meaning behind it. Okay, great. Um, so getting back to the, uh, the disrupt agenda, the disrupt agenda was a way for us to have an acronym for what we believe is an America first agenda that really gets us back to where we should be as a country in terms of defending the country, uh, having an education system that brings American values and teaches American values to children and, and young adults of all races and creeds in our country, institutional uh, protection of our constitutional rights, which have virtually evaporated during COVID, restoring some morality, ethics, character, and honesty, 
uh, to our party and to government in general, uh, uniting around an America first uh, uh, kind of vision and, and, and drive for the country and for the state, uh, protecting our democratic rights in terms of voting and election integrity, and then finally transforming government to make government smaller, get government out of our lives, and also uh, end this entitlement mentality that we have, which causes its seemingly endless expansion of our budgets, our deficits, and our debt, which is going to kill us if it hasn't already. Salient point about that. So I don't think there's anything on there when we say disrupt that is it all uh, negative? In fact, it's all positive. But the, the more salient piece of what we've done is we put together a 21-point policy ag- uh, agenda, and it's written, okay, policy guide. And it's out on our website at mark4ohio.com slash policy. So that's mark4ohio.com slash policy. And it is a 21-point written policy commitment to Ohio voters as to how I think, what I believe, how I will negotiate, how I will debate, how I will vote, and how I will legislate. No other candidate has done this. And I would contend it's because they don't want to put a stake in the ground and have to defend their positions Uh, They want to be able to sit on the fence or flip-flop and not get caught. We've seen it. We've seen it over and over and over again, and and that's why I put it in writing. And it's very, very kind of clear. Uh, There are three or four, two two to four points under each policy area, and I'd be happy to discuss any of those or anything. I mean, I think anything, just about anything you would come up with, we could probably find the panel on my policy um, guide that would, would, would lead us through a discussion of, of, you know, what my philosophy is, so to speak, what the platform is around those, those issues. Um, you know, we, we are prepared. It, go ahead. I was going to say and, we're and I prepared want, to have Yeah, I definitely want to – yeah, I do want to touch on those. And you know, I was looking. You know, I was, I was looking over some of those actually. You know, prior to the the program this evening, and one of the things I, I wanted to bring up because uh, one of the first things you were talking about is infrastructure and transportation. And as you know, in uh, 2020, uh, in May, <laughs> almost to the you know, 2020, uh, Trump issued the bulk power order, which included in it a prohibition order. Uh, which prohibited the acquisition, uh, importation, transfer, or installation of specific bulk power system electrical equipment uh, that is from the People's Republic of China and that uh, directly serves the critical defense systems. Now, this was to protect our power grid uh, from, you know, any type of, you know, foreign, uh, you know, manipulations from our adversaries. Now, as you also know, that in April of 2021, uh, the Biden administration suspended uh, the bulk power order 
And then later, uh, what? I'm sorry, that was. Um, and then later, what they did, uh, they actually rescinded and got rid of the uh, the prohibition order. So that order no longer stands uh, to to not use those types of you know systems from you know from foreign adversaries. So with Biden right. opening up our electrical power grid basically to China and another adversary, uh, what would you do to keep our power grid safe from any type of foreign manipulation? You know, you know, again using that as a backdrop with what was in the bulk power order. Well, that 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 bulk power order, um, and I don't recall it, but uh, the, the name that way, but but. Uh, we'll use it. The, the bulk power order um, really is kind of a follow-on to the Huawei, you know, back door that was found in those 5G switches. Uh, and it is clear. So, so I want to make something perfectly clear to, to you and all your listeners, okay? I believe that China is by far our biggest foreign enemy. And that because of China... And, and what they have done in terms of getting their agents, and I, I'm, when I talk agents, I'm talking the full, just maybe going back and reporting to the, the uh, Communist Chinese Party, to full-blown, you know, spies, okay? Our country has been infiltrated by these people. And if you study any of the, the speeches and the, and the things that Mike Pompeo was giving about, Chinese kind of co-option of uh, mayors, governors, senators, representatives. It's pretty staggering. So my attitude would be as a senator to do everything I could to stop that kind of trade and the kind of use of those products in our networks, whether they be power, telecommunications, whatever it might be. Because there is only, the Chinese only have one uh, mission when it comes to the United States, and that's to, to put us out of business. Yeah, and that's exactly – yeah, that was uh, – the bulk power order was Executive Order 13920 is, is, is what that's from. The you – know, what if Trump's executive orders that he put? And it was actually – and it was actually uh, – not rescinded, but postponed for 90 days. The day of Biden's inauguration, he addressed, he did that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know who's working for our our adversaries. <laughs> well, if you you know what what is stunning to me is, we, I really do think we have a crisis of low information voters in the country. The if you read Peter Schweitzer, Schweitzer's book. Uh, Peter Schweitzer was a guy who is, a, is an investigative journalist who worked for Breitbart and I believe now is out on his own. But he's the, 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 the author of Clinton Cash. And he's written a number of other kind of expose books. But he wrote a book called his last, I think his last book was Profiles in Corruption. And in it is a chapter on the corruption of, uh, you know, high, high level, high visibility kind of celebrity politicians. And Joe Biden is featured front and center. And if you go through that and you look at 
the, the absolute corruption of the Biden family using corruption by proxy. And we've heard that term, you know, uh, the big guy gets 10% or whatever. The, the yeah, interesting I, thing is that everything in Schweizer's book in that chapter about Joe Biden, you can go, readers can go validate. One can go out and validate them in newspapers and periodicals and news sources going back decades. I mean, this guy has been committing fraud and corruption and treasonous acts in public, and we just continue to look the other way. It's just, it's absurd to me that more people aren't speaking out about it. Um, I think you remember, you may remember that uh, Pam Bondi, who was the attorney general in Florida, at the, the Republican kind of convention speech thing that was done at, uh, I think it was at the White House, where people come up, came up for like five to ten minutes apiece and spoke. She actually, it was almost as if she went through and did a Cliff's Notes of Schweizer's book in terms of Biden corruption. And yet, because we've got a compromised media, they just, they just reject even covering the, the, the topic. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, they're definitely, it's amazing. You know, that's why I don't really spend much time on social media. I do Twitter some. Facebook, my Facebook presence is practically non-existent uh, just because, I mean, you just can't. You, you can't have any type of, you know, civil discourse on there just because, you know, they're, they're so, as you said, misinformed or under, under-informed. I mean, if, if all you listen to is CNN and MSNBC all day, it's amazing how many lies you've got. Uh, but back to your, um, you know, your policy is that, you know, we'll, we'll move forward to, it says, you know, appoint U.S. attorneys could go after. You mentioned Householder earlier this evening. Uh, if you want to touch on some of the corruption you think DeWine may have been, or was, is this not the, the format to, to have that kind of uh, discussion? No, I don't. I'm I, not a big I'm, fan I, of DeWine, but. Yeah, I have. So, so I would tell you, so, so here's what makes me different as a candidate for the Republican Party in this U.S. Senate race. Here are the things I will say, and I, I've actually said some of these things in front of Mike DeWine uh, in uh, uh at the uh, Franklin County uh, Republican Party uh, Lincoln-Reagan dinner. I, I, I say kind of three things. One, the Ohio Republican Party is corrupt from top to bottom and left to right and needs a regime change. Number two, Mike DeWine uh, deserves more to be investigated than he does to be reelected. And Rob Portman, as opposed to being a statesman, was a sellout and a turncoat to Ohio. And, and, and I'm willing to, to back those statements up with, with evidence. For example, Mike DeWine, you've probably read Neil Clark's book. And he basically says in there that DeWine agreed to take $5 million as part of this first energy, you know, corruption scandal. And, you know, Larry Householder, who was the architect of that, or one of the architects, you know, was basically running the Ohio Republican Party because of the money he was throwing around controlling primary elections, uh, specifically in the, you know, state government. And 
we seem to be I've never heard an apology from a high-ranking Republican in the party to the grassroots voters for Larry Householder, Cliff Rosenberger, uh, the the ECOT scandal with Bill Lager. I mean, we can go back uh, we can go back decades and just keep adding to the list, but they never apologize. It's kind of like they look the other way and move on. And and Larry Householder wouldn't have been indicted had it not been for a very strong uh, federal uh, prosecutor who Biden immediately replaced when he came into office. I mean, we need strong prosecutors, and we need to give them the independence at the federal level to go get this stuff. Our attorney general is not going to do it because it's the DeWine crime family. It's the DeWine cabal, Frank LaRose, uh, John Husted, Dave Yost, Sprague, Faber. I mean, they, they all jump. They, they all ask how high when Mike DeWine asks them to jump. And that is a problem in the Ohio Republican Party. Well, that doesn't bode well for uh, – well, I don't know. The, the election, you know, hopefully to be on the ballot, but I know they're, they're trying to – recently there was a petition that was sent to, uh, to Yost about trying to get uh, – I'm sure you're familiar with uh, HB 248. Right. Yeah. So the and first so, – so, so the first ballot initiative went to him, and, and, I, it, and it was rejected. Uh, and I think it was rejected with 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 good cause. Uh, and the 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 opinion that came back from the AG's office clearly was not written by Dave Yost. It was written by someone who understands law, and it was pretty well written in terms of here's what you need to do the next time. And so I think there has been another one submitted, another version. Uh, the first one, I think, yeah, the first was one was petition, done. Yeah. And, and it's the thousand signature petition that says, okay, here's if you go get your 130,000 signatures or whatever, we'll put this on the ballot. So there, it's a two-step process in Ohio right. that, that many voters don't understand. Uh, so, so that's going on. And yeah, and, and but but I don't think there was any, I don't think there was any. Um, would you call it funny business that went on around that? I think it was, it, it could have been uh, better written the first time. And hopefully it is the second time. I haven't seen the second one, uh, but, but I've got it, you know, I yeah. Have it. But, but House Bill, yeah. House bill 248 is an example of uh, Mike DeWine's control of the Ohio legislature. We've got an Ohio legislature that gets nothing done and what they do get done is so watered down that it's virtually meaningless. And voters are <laughs> what's that Bill Sight. <laughs> yeah. He's our well, he, I mean, he's a representative in my area. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the I, I've been saying for a long time that every House member needs to be primaried next year and the seventeen Ohio senators who are up for re election need to be primaried. We, we have got to start having competitive, vigorous citizen candidates running in primaries to, to at a minimum, make these people work for reelection. 
But more importantly, steel sharpens steel. Competition makes for better results. You know, the free market and competition in business has allowed us to, to basically lead the world in terms of technologies and services and products and agriculture and all the rest. And, and of course, China steals our intellectual property because we're so good at this stuff, right? Uh, yet, yet we in the party, a, a, the par, a party like ours that embraces free markets and laissez-faire kind of government oversight and control, uh, uh, in Ohio specifically, is controlling that primary process, which in fact should be both a selection process and a trial run, a practice run for the general election. And we need to get back to that. We need to stop primary endorsements. We need to stop the state central committee from endorsing themselves for re-election, which is why we have people who have been there forever. We have to blow the dust mm-hmm. off of some of them. And we need to invigorate the party. We are never going to attract younger conservatives or younger people to the conservative movement if we don't get rid of some of these uh, folks who are not working in the party's best interest. Yeah, uh, we've we've been hoping for that for a long time. I think that's why a lot of people were – you know, so excited about Trump because he's, I mean, he's not a politician. He wasn't, didn't spend or make his wealth in politics. You know, yeah. that's why the befuddles, not befuddles me, I know where they're coming from, but not that I agree with them, where they're saying, oh, you know, Trump became president for Trump. It's like, what? <laughs> what benefit did he get, you know, from being president of the United States? He could have uh, right. no, a lot of luxury not have to worry about all this. <laughs> you kidding me? Right, exactly. I mean, he'll be fighting it's lawsuits. A lot of work. Probably. Yeah, he'll be fighting lawsuits till till he dies. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. I, and true. I really think I think it's a shame. But um, you know, he 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 did one thing that I think it, he will leave a legacy. His legacy long term will be that he ripped the Band-Aid off this festering wound of corruption in Washington and in state capitals around around the country. And I truly believe that the genie's out of the bottle and can't be packed back in. And we are going to see change. I don't necessarily believe it's going to be a sea change where, you know, everything changes overnight. But I think that grassroots Republican conservative America first voters are going to run the swamp rhino turncoats. The, 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 as Dan Bongino likes to say, um, most Republicans are really Democrats. No Democrats are really Republicans. We're, we're going to drive those Republicans who are really Democrats out of office. Um, and and uh, they're easy to identify. You go to the American Conservative Union, you go to Heritage, you go to John Birch, you look at the voting records of these people, and it's clear what they are, right? It, it's It's absolutely objective uh, data on how they vote and what they believe in, right? Because what they vote is what they believe in or, or how they're representing Ohioans. Um, and if they say, well, I'm voting because that's what my constituents want, meaning that's what will get me reelected, that, that's, that's not 
if that if they were they are not voting like the people who got them elected want them to vote, that's that's troubling to me. Or 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 they say they're going to do what the people want and then they don't. Uh, we got uh, Kelly on the line. He's got uh, what's uh, go over some things. Uh, we got certainly cool. still a, a lot of got uh, you know, prepared out. A lot of a lot of uh, to go. Uh, thank you very much, Kelly. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, how are you? Good, good. Crazy day. I've been playing attorney to help a friend the last couple months. It's been interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, I really like what I'm hearing uh, from this candidate. Uh, China is a serious problem. Um, there's things I can't tell you on air, but it is serious. And so, great. Republican Party, Ohio, sad to hear that. At least you're not in California. The Republican Party has been infiltrated by Democrats, and they got into key positions. And uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, I do have a couple questions for the guest. Sure. Our um, way. All right. Um, obviously, you like the Constitution. Yep. Can you summarize Article 9 and Article 10 of the Bill of Rights? Uh, so when you say summarize, uh, I would say – when you say Article 10, are you talking about the Ninth and Tenth Amendment? Yeah, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Sorry. Okay. So the Tenth oh, yeah. Amendment – I, I, so let, let me just start with my, my kind of philosophy in explaining the Constitution to people in terms of the way I've interpreted it, right? The Constitution with the Bill of Rights has about, I think, 18 rights that are enumerated to the federal government. And, and those powers, not rights, those powers are really designed to allow the federal government to protect the God-given rights of Americans. And, and they, they fall into, in my mind, four buckets. And, and this is something, this is not, you know, cast in stone, but in my mind when I try to explain to people, it's protect the country from um, enemies foreign and domestic, uh, International foreign relations, and I would submit to you that that includes foreign trade, um, interstate commerce, and making sure that we've got a fair market within the between within and between the fifty states. And then, if you kind of stretch, a common currency. And I think most of the uh, the, the 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 powers enumerated to the federal government fall into those buckets. Now, uh, the Tenth Amendment is one that I'm, I have a, a great deal of affection for because I want to see a smaller federal government. I want to see us get back to more basic interpretation of the Constitution in plain language as it was written. You know, call me a constitutional constructionist. And so what I believe Article 10 does is accentuates the fact that it's only those powers that have been given to the federal government and everything else goes to the states. Now, 
unfortunately, we've had what I like to call constitutional creep for a long, long time, let's say 125 or so years or 120 years. And, and I, would, I would say that the, 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 the real problems with constitutional creep probably started around Woodrow, Wil- the Woodrow, Wilson, Woodrow Wilson's uh, administration where there was a strong progressive movement and we we started to see a chipping away of and an expansion an chipping away of 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 states rights let's say and an expansion of the federal government um and and the example i would use is uh you know there was a department there was a department of education Back in, I, w- I want to say it was 18, I, I don't remember the dates exactly, but 1867, Congress put in place, President signed into law, you know, the ability to have this Department of Education. And a year later, it was made an office and stuck into, I don't remember if it was Treasury or, or, or where, but in one year, people in, in Washington became afraid that education across the country was going to become politicized. So it got stuck back in, right? But now we've got this massive Department of Education that's pushing things like critical race theory and social-emotional learning and all this, this nonsense that, 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 you know, you can't even find the word education in the Constitution. So... The, the, the um, uh, you know, um, the Tenth Amendment to me gives the states what I would call incredible power to nullify what they feel the states feel are unconstitutional. Let's talk about things like unfunded mandates or, or, um, the kind of matching we have to do with certain programs. Uh, it, 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 to me, it's designed to keep the federal government from controlling the states in ways that the, the founding fathers didn't anticipate. Um, oh, I, I, and, I'm really liking your answer. You're getting an A. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. I do this to every candidate. Robert knows right. this. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you nailed uh, Amendment 10. It's states' yeah. rights, the and powers that, not delegated yeah. to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. And the Ninth is a little bit similar, but it's different. The powers is in Amendment 10. The Ninth Amendment is rights. The enumeration yeah. in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, we wrote uh, five rights down in the Constitution, for example. There's five in the uh, First Amendment. But what they're saying there is government doesn't give us the rights. We were born with them. And don't construe it that if it's not written down in the Constitution, you don't have the rights. Right. So, right. right. Yeah, trial by jury is fundamental. It protected political reformers. And that right existed, oh, say, about 500 years before, more than 500 years before the Constitution. So a right that already existed became protected when it was codified uh, in the Bill of Rights, trial by jury. Um, 
All right, so you got an A there. That's awesome. Um, that's really cool, and I really like more of your thinking on that. But I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, you're concerned about corruption. Uh, would you – and Rand Paul, okay, go step back a little bit. Rand Paul and Fauci seem to be going at it so often like it's a married couple fights. <laughs> but but um, he's referring – he wants to refer perjury charges over to the FBI. And recently, somebody was indicted by a grand jury for perjury for Congress. Now, would you um, would you take something to the grand jury yourself if you're elected? Uh, you mean not going through the Department of Justice, not going through federal prosecutors? Well, of course, you can go through. Are you talking about the referral? Just an absolute referral. Would you? Yeah. Would you? Would you give a referral? I call it a petition or the right of petition. I wrote a book about the grand jury, by the way. Anyway, so well, yeah. Would you refer to the FBI for corruption you have seen? Um, but the end goal of getting your petition to a grand jury, would you do something like that? So, so I want to make sure – I don't want to answer a question that wasn't asked. So are you saying if I saw corruption within the FBI, would I refer that corruption to a grand jury for prosecution within the FBI uh, – of the FBI? Well, that's another good question. That's not quite – if you saw any corruption whatsoever, fellow congressmen – But the FBI uh, nowadays is, good, is a good example. <laughs> Right, right. Well, so, I know. That's I know. The good that's starting point. So, so, so let me answer, I think, the, the, the unasked question first, and then we'll, I'll answer the asked question. I think the unasked question is, are you willing to call out people within your own party or within your own chamber for corruption? And if, if, that's, the, the unasked, if that's the unasked question, the answer is yes. All right. But only for something that I believe was really a crime. I, 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 I absolutely abhor using that grand jury process for political purposes. And, and I believe it has been used for political purposes. Uh, you know, you, you know you, if you wrote a book on the grand jury, you understand that old expression about, you know, you can get a, a grand jury to uh, indict a ham sandwich, right? Uh, it, so, so I think we've got to be careful there. But, but the, the bigger question about corruption is, uh, so I've done a lot of reading on corruption, not only in the United States, around the world, reading and studying. And I would contend, and I think voters now see, that corruption is the number one problem in the world. If you think about these three things, starvation or lack thereof, fan, uh, 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 plagues and disease or lack thereof, and people who die in conflict or don't. If you look at where we've come as a world, we produce more food than can be eaten right now. If anybody is, 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 is uh, starving or, or is malnourished, it's because they have for the most part, a corrupt uh, government, corrupt leaders. We, we have virtually eradicated 
all of the kind of diseases and plagues and maladies that would, you know, just wipe out millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people at a time. Unless, of course, it's a weaponized virus that leaks from a lab in Wuhan, China. And then finally, we have less than 1% of the, the, the world's population dying in conflicts. When that number used to be like 20 to 25%, you had like a one in five chance or a, a, a one in four chance of dying by conflict, dying by war, dying by feuds between two, you know, medieval principalities or something like that. We should be living in the closest thing to heaven on earth. And I believe that that's actually what God would want for us. But for the fact we have evil, corrupt leaders. And it's very interesting. There was a poll taken of Ohio and Michigan voters recently, you know, with an exhaustive list of issues, you know, stack rank your issues. And corruption was number one in both Ohio and Michigan. I think people now understand how bad the corruption is, how deep it is, and how it affects them personally. And so my answer on the question you asked is absolutely. We need to get back to having repercussions for bad action, right? Right. Well, let me – yeah, I we, want to share something, some really good news. And there's something, if you're interested, off air, I could help you boost your campaign um how, how two state house senators at all <laughs> <laughs> there you go so two state house senators from oregon uh, it'd be senator thatcher and senator linthicum they submitted a petition to a federal grand jury over the cdc totally misrepresenting numbers and and playing games to create a lot of fear and panic okay so that's been an encouraging thing i was um, the grand jury um, specialist on this. But I want to read something to you that's really fundamental. And this one paragraph took me at least four hours of research. And this is where you could shine. Again, off air, I'd be, Robert, go ahead and give him my number. That'd but be great. if you were to, yeah, you have the right to petition a grand jury, period. Right. And that's First Amendment right of petition, 18 U.S.C. 3332, discusses. <laughs> That it is the duty of a prosecutor to inform the grand jury of a petition received. Okay. Now, and I can tell you other court cases that affirm the the, the case precedents rights people have. But the importance, which is in the Fifth Amendment of an indictment, this is a paragraph: no indictment, no accountability. On the federal level, per the Fifth Amendment, for a federal felony, if there is no indictment nor a presentment, then there is no accountability. This means that absent an indictment or a presentment, federal government officials and employees can get away with breaking the law. This is best explained by a United States Supreme Court ruling of 1887, which states, the declaration of Article 5 of the amendments to the Constitution that – no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury is jurisdictional. And no court of the United States has authority to try a prisoner without indictment or presentment in such cases. Then again, in 1973, Justice William O. Douglas of the Supreme Court wrote the same. 
quote, for no matter how obnoxious a person may be, the United States cannot prosecute for a felony without a grand jury indictment. Uh, the grand jury is the only accusatorial body of the federal government recognized by the Constitution. That's United States versus Mara. The previous case, 1887, was ex parte Bain. So a lot of politicians say, oh, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to clean up Washington. Well, what's your plan? And so I'm glad to help you because, as we put it on uh, Stand for Health Freedom, when Senator Linthicum and Thatcher submitted the petition, this is huge. And you could, um, I could help you get a petition in for a concern you may have. But it would show the, your voters that you are serious. Instead of talking about it, you actually have a plan. You actually did something right. while you were running for office, and I'd be absolutely glad to help you with this. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate that, Kelly. And those are the kind of things that I, I would want to focus on in Washington. I mean, there, there, there's, there, it is a target-rich environment there to improve the country and improve our governing, right? Target-rich environment. And we are going to have to get people there that are there to serve, um, that are there to do what's right for the country, not what's right for their pocketbook or their, their, their insatiable need for power and control. And I think it's going to have to be, I don't mean, I don't want to pat myself on the back here, but I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen candidate. I've never run for office before. I'm, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have that kind of – I'm not a member of the club, let's say. And I have, I, I have a thick skin. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I think I'm pretty articulate. And I ha- I'm a fighter. And when I say fighter, I, I, I don't mean like I'm fighting to, to get reelected or I'm fighting my, for my career or I'm fighting for donations. I, I, I mean fighting for the soul of this country and the future of this country. I mean, the reason I got in this race is I sold a big business that I was building. I came from a lower middle class family. My grandfathers were both coal miners. My parents had outhouses when they were kids, right? So... I managed to keep my nose clean, do what my parents said, go to church, respect your elders, do good in school, don't do drugs, don't break the law, you know, go to, go to college, you know, almost straight A's, graduate summa cum laude, go to work, build a career, start my own business, sell that business, live the American dream. At the end of 2019, when I did that, I looked at my first grandchild, I now have two, two grandsons, and I thought that child will not have the same opportunity I did if we keep going in this direction. And he is coming from a much better launching point than me. His parents are both college ed- educated. My daughter has an advanced degree. My son-in-law has his own business now. It's doing well. And I'm worried about this child and now his brother. That to me is unacceptable. And it's unacceptable because we're being led by a lot of clowns right now. And we've just got to get them out, whether they're criminal clowns or whether they're just incompetent clowns. It really doesn't matter, right? 
I, I look at going to Washington and being a legislator or even being the president as being like a CEO. Your job is to work for the shareholders and do the best you can and return the best for them. It's not about, you know, if I were to prosper in any way, it had darn well be a very, very small percentage of what everybody else prospers in Ohio by. Uh, because that's, I think that's the way it's designed. And, that, and we've gotten so far away from that. And, and I'm sorry I'm kind of pontificating here, but, you know, I, I can tell by the way you're talking, Kelly, that you're, you're frustrated, but you found a way to use the system and use our system of laws and common laws and, and what has grown around the Constitution for over 200 years and use it kind of like, you know, um, political or legal jujitsu to fight this, 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 just this massive. I mean, if you think about the CDC, right, and the FDA and the NIH, 31,000 people. And I want to say total budgets of 85 to $90 billion a year. How, how does even a state fight that? Our Ohio budget is $85 billion a year. Well, <laughs> wow. well I, I'm, catching, and I, I'm, I'm catching a kindred spirit here. You are very frustrated with what's going on, and you're stepping up to the plate. Hats off to you, sir. I'm, I'm hearing your frustration of the way things are being run, and that's what the American people need to hear. I hear that you're frustrated and you have solutions. Correct. And that's yeah, it. Absolutely. And here's, here's, here's the other thing. The other candidates in my race, I am the only one talk. I am the, the only one that is. I'm spending the most time talking about policy. I don't want to say they never talk about policy, but they rarely talk about policy. And and I am talking. I've been talking policy for two years. Uh, and, and it's as I said, it's out on the website. It's on my card. I, 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 I ask people to question me. I ask people to, to um, be critical of it and try to find holes in it. If we find any, we'll patch them up, so to speak. Uh, and I'm talking about holes or weaknesses. I mean, I think the basic structure of the policy guide is 90 to 95% complete. And if you look at it, I think most Americans, and specifically conservative Americans, will look, they look at it and they say to me, I agree with everything in it, or I agree with 95 or 99% of it, Mark, because it's just common sense. And it's not aimed at helping someone at the expense of another. It's aimed at getting corruption out of the system, leveling the field, and specifically leveling the playing field in terms of commerce between us and the rest of the world. We have been getting taken advantage of. And, oh, by the way, Rob Portman, the guy I would, I would, would replace, is one of the guys that signed those crappy trade deals that, that Trump went in and renegotiated and started nullifying. Uh, you know, th- these are self-inflicted wounds, right? Our team was throwing the game. And I think we now have said there's a new – there, there was a new manager of the team, you know, Donald Trump, and he said, we're not throwing games anymore. 
We're gonna we're gonna play to win. Everybody else should play to win. What what a, what a concept! Play to win. Get the uh, an agreement that has the best terms for your country. I mean, what a concept! <laughs> you know, right. so right. the right. you know so you have uh, policies written, a number of them, with corruption being the number one from the study you indicated. I can help you write a policy piece. And you can slap it up on your website. Yeah, I'd like I'd lo- really love to talk to you about that. Okay. Because yeah, Rob, go ahead and yeah, yeah Rob, people, go ahead and give him my phone number. Yeah, I think he already sent it to me. I saw a notification pop up. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did. Yeah. So, see, it's really interesting having this conversation because everybody understands there's corruption out there, right? It's pretty much everybody gets it, especially with COVID. But they, they, they're at a loss to figure out, okay, what do we do about it? And what I've found in politics, right, as an outsider, is politicians don't like to start parades. They like to join them. And someone has to start the parade. Donald Trump started a lot of parades. And we need to do more of that. And I think it comes from having someone at least – a, a, a significant portion of the system be new blood that has some life experience, particularly in business. Uh, and bringing some of those sound business management principles to governing. Um, Trump liked to do things fast. Here's an example. Businesses work on cycles, as you know, that are maximum a month. Right, reporting is done on a monthly basis, but nowadays, in my business, before I sold it, we could cut up, uh, we could cut financials every night, literally real time. And we've got Titians in Washington who talk in in terms of election. It's going to take three election cycles to get that. In the Senate, that's 18 years. That's almost two decades. Business people are used to working in, you know, cycles where if they don't make a good decision and get something done in the next week, they could be out of business. There's, there's no sense of urgency. Uh, there's no sense of fiscal responsibility. There's no sense of project mentality with a start and end of budget, due dates, deliverables, and things like that. You know, look at poverty, Right. If you look at the poverty line in America from, let's say, 1900 to 1964, 65, it is a curve that is going down. It it looks like the the slope of a mountain. And then the poverty rate in America is virtually flat after 1964, 1965. What's the only thing that changed? The Civil Rights Act and all of the entitlement programs and things like that that came out of it in 1964, 1965. If we had taken a project approach to poverty, it would have been like going to the moon, right? We're going to send a man to the moon by the end of the decade. We did it. Eisenhower, the um, uh, interstate highway system, got it done. There was, a, there was a starting point, an ending point, a budget, a timeline, and boom, you know when it's complete. But instead, we have these gifts that keep on giving. We have a bigger and bigger bureaucracy 
around fighting poverty. Poverty stays the same, and the bureaucracy around fighting it just gets bigger and bigger. This is insane. It's like, yeah, we couldn't do it with 3,000 people. Let's just add another 3,000. That doesn't work. So you add another 3,000. Like, does anybody think that, wow, there might be a better way to do this? It's like we, you, keep, we, you know, it's that definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. And I think the problem is, you know, we've, we've got politicians that don't really love this country. They, they don't want to make it better. They just want their life to be better and good and the hell with everybody else. And that's just unacceptable to me. And I think it's unacceptable to most Americans. Yeah, that's the political that, class we like to dub them. Yeah, that that was that was very well said. What you just said, and the politicians should be working for the best interests of the people. And in this comes liberty and prosperity, uh, accountability, justice, so we can live our lives in peace. And it, you, you nailed it. And it, maybe that's why Trump got a lot of stuff done is because he was running a business. You run the federal government like you run a business, you get stuff done, or you go under. And right. so. You know, I like your perspective. Trump brought in a new element that was refreshing, and I'm going to guess a whole bunch more businessmen are going to run, and we're going to see stuff get done a lot quicker. So, I, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, you're getting well, thumbs I mean, up here. I, I'm, I'm kind of tough on people, but you're, you're doing really well. Um, so, I, you know, I try to be nice and polite and all. I've had a busy, exhausting day, but... But, yeah, I, I, I think you're doing great so far in what I'm hearing. And, you know, I would offer to take this um, show, and we can put it on. Uh, you know, I can download it, do digital editing, cut out some things, whatever, but uh, maybe some highlights, and then we can, we, you can put this on your website. Because people want to know, well, who is this guy? Why aren't we splashing around interviews of candidates? On the web, yeah. say splash around, splash around the web. Let people get to know, other than just some TV ad or some flyer. Yeah. I mean, I know those are helpful, but this is one of the best ways to get uh, people to get to know you and hear the frustration in your voice, and right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's I've done this for other candidates, and then you can you can run with it. So that I, there's a number of tools I can give you. I just you know we don't have the greatest amount of time to discuss them. Um, I have ran a campaign a long time ago. We were number one on campus. And so, you know, uh, I know Joseph, it would be nice for his help, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, <laughs> love you, Joseph. <laughs> anyway, all right. But, yeah, I, I want to turn the phone back over to you and hear some more of your good ideas. They're great. Well, speaking Robert, of policy, uh, and we certainly we, we yeah, we, we, we certainly got, uh, you know, plenty of time. But, you know, so speaking of policies, uh, I do want to go over some of the points because, I, you know, at least for me, and I, I'm sure this happens with a lot of people while they're looking at your website, and people will have access to the website here uh, on uh, the podcast where you just go to the, the description, just click on the link, it'll take you uh, to, your, you know, to your website. And, you know, they go through like, okay, well, I see the, you know, the bullet points, you know, with the, with the policies and the different, like, for instance, uh, you have, uh, you know, education, for instance, is, is a policy. And one of the things that has on here, I like to maybe elaborate, get, you know, elaborate on. And this is kind of one of my big, um, 
you know, topics. I mean, I spent, uh, I mean, I, I paid for my own high school tuition. I paid for my daughter's grade school and high school and college, you know, for her to go to private school. I mean, I worked extra part-time jobs so that I could afford for her to go. I remember there'd be summers where, you know, I'd work at the ball stadium, uh, and the money I made would go to, to pay for high school or college tuition. I mean, in the three months' time, I, I may have, you know, three days and a three day, uh, three months off, or maybe one day and three months, where I would have a day right. off, you know, just right. to do extra. So I hear, I hear a lot of, you know, politicians when it comes to education, where they talk about, uh, you know, you know, a voucher system, or as, you, as your website says, money follows the child. Uh, could you elaborate your policy on education and how you you know your proposal for you know money follows the child? Because I mean I've never really been a because I guess I spent all, you know pretty much all of my uh, my daughter's education paying for private school and again I paid for my own. Um, I guess I just don't like the idea of you know you know th- th- this voucher system. I mean I've heard, I've heard nothing but troubles with the voucher system, but maybe you got a a better take on it or how it can work, uh, you know, than, than what yeah. I do. I mean, what, what's your sense on that? Yeah, how so, do you envision so that think, system working? Yeah. So so I believe that the, the current choice uh, options we have in Ohio are weak. But they're, they, they have moved us in the right direction. How do I know that? Because of 100 school boards just sued uh, the state of Ohio to put an end to voucher programs because they're saying, well, we're having to raise taxes. Okay, so let's, let's kind of deconstruct that. You know, we're having to go for levies. The reason they're having to go for levies is because people are saying your product and and we don't want our kids to have a poor education, so we're going to take them somewhere where we know the education doesn't suck. And, and so what I would see with money following the child, it, it's more than the voucher. The problem we've got the voucher system right now is many of those vouchers are being used by relatively wealthy people to send their kids to private schools that they can afford otherwise. And, and it's because it's complex to, it, it's like doing your taxes once you start making some money, except in this case, it's the other way around. You're asking parents who are lower income to jump through hoops to get these vouchers. So with money follows the child, it would just be, Hey, I don't want my kids going to public school. I'm taking that money that I would pay to the schools, and I'm, I get to use it to educate my children, okay? And that brings free market competition into the education system. And, hey, if everybody leaves the public schools in Dublin, Ohio, and those schools can no longer afford to run, you know, uh, 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 good riddance, Right? Because we've got unions, we've, we've got special interests, we've got uh, teachers, mostly administrators and board members that are injecting politics. And unfortunately, it's the wrong politics into education. It's just got to stop. You know, well, a, we, 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 a couple things. Oh, go ahead. 
I was going to say we say a couple things. One political or not, Dublin Dublin generally has good high school football teams. I know because my alma mater plays them in the in the state playoffs. You know, at least they usually get to the state playoffs. But anyway, <laughs> that, that's what that's one of the sports I actually follow. Mark is is high school football. <laughs> gotcha. You go to St. Ed. And the Dublin Shamrocks generally have a good team <laughs> every year. Yeah. Did you go to St. Ed? No, I went to uh, Elder. Elder, okay. okay. Yeah, I'm in southwest Ohio. Yeah, because when my uh, – Well, we play St. Daughter... Ed's a lot in the playoffs, too. Yeah. Well, we, we, I think we Lake played – Lakewood uh, Edwards? Yeah, Dublin, yeah, Dublin, Dublin Kaufman played St. Ed's. I think it was the year my daughter was either a junior or a senior. Uh, she graduated in 2008. I think they played, they played St. Ed's and got beat just barely in the uh, – a state playoff, a, a championship game, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm right. But, but secondly, what would you say to folks with, you know, for that policy? Well, I, I don't have any kids, or my kids are already, you know, or my kids are already out of school. Then you know, people are getting this, you know, this this, this extra money, and I'm I'm paying into the system. I mean, I'm I'm paying my property taxes are going into to pay for this education, I mean, what would be your answer to them? I don't know if I've got a good answer for them other than, you know, it's always been the way we've done it, but, but, but in, in terms of paying taxes for schools and having the schools available, right? Because ultimately everybody's benefiting from that, but it, it does smack of being like for the greater good. And, and that becomes, I mean, I know the slippery slope is a fallacy, but that becomes a slippery slope in the sense of you're talking about the greater good all the time, and before you know it, you're a socialist country, right? So I don't don't know if I have a good answer for those people, but, but what I do know is, you know, our Supreme Court basically said the way we fund our schools is unconstitutional, like, what, two decades ago or whatever it was, and we've done nothing about it. How 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 do Ohioans stand for that? How are they not trying to force better, more modern, more up to date, more efficient, more effective thinking around public education? We we have we have business process reengineered every other industry to death, other than government, education, and healthcare. And what are the three kind of business sectors that are growing, you know, in terms of expense greater than the average cost of living? Healthcare, education, government. Because we're not allowing the free market to have an impact. If you look at higher education with guaranteeing student loans, I mean, what, 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 what can be expected? You can take economics 101 and know that if you have more money chasing the same amount of goods, you're going to get inflation. You're going to get cost increases. Government participation in healthcare, government participation in education with, with so much money is what's driving this. It doesn't take a PhD in economics to understand this, Right. Uh, a first-year freshman in college in business can understand this, yet we allow it to continue to go on. 
right? Cost shifting because of Medicare and Medicaid contracts with providers, shifting costs to private health care plans. So we wonder why our private health care plans are going up 10, 12, 15, 20, 25% a year. It's because the government is getting a good deal and we're getting screwed. <laughs> and, and we want to continue to expand those programs. We, we've got wow. to find a way to, like, think about, think about entitlement programs. We have Social Security, which is going to fail. We have Medicare, which is going to fail, right? And what, what are we talking about in many cases? Expanding those programs. We're going to expand something that's failing. How does that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> expansive, expansive failure. <laughs> well, it right? appears to me that uh, often, but it's true, right? It yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's absurd. Oh, yeah. It's it like the government's uh, solution to put out a fire, throw gas on it. Right. You know? That's exactly right. So we, I, got a, I got a question for you about COVID. You mentioned uh, medical and then the word PhD. I wonder – now, Fauci has a PhD. Does that stand for uh, probably head delusional? Anyway. Yeah, or piled high and deeper. Yeah, piled high and deeper. All right. So do you believe people should be forced to take the vaccine? or it's more an injection than a vaccine, but, you know, mRNA, messenger ribonucleic acid, you know, change the genetics a little bit so you'll tweak and, and fight a virus off. But forcefully, I, I have a real problem with that. And what, what's your comments about forced vaccinations? Yeah, I am absolutely against any force or mandate around COVID whatsoever, whether it be masks, whether it be vaccines. We, we have... It's, it's just not something the government should be involved in. And I will tell you, out of the seven leading candidates in our race right now, I'm the only one that is unvaxxed. I did my research. What I found out and what I continue to found out, find out scared me to death, and I just wasn't going to do it. I took my chances. I got COVID. I'm fine. We now come to find out that I've got 27 times the, the B cells that someone who has the vaccine has. And those, rather than just the pure antigens, those are the memory cells that last longer, right? So, so when people say to me, will you fight for my medical freedom? I can say, yeah, it's not only your medical freedom I'm fighting for, it's my own. I'm the only Senate candidate in this race that can say that. Everybody else is vaccinated. And, and wow. I don't, I don't have a problem if any, everybody else is vaccinated. Just don't force it on me. You want to get vaccinated, fabulous. You go do it. You want to wear a mask, fabulous. That makes you feel better, you go do it. But don't make me do it. And don't make me change my routine because of your requirements, right? We, this is – I'm trying to think of another time where we've had anything – this invasive and pervasive in terms of chipping away at our constitutional rights. You know, you can find uh, across the board in America, right? You can find, you know, uh, constitutional rights not being granted to people of color or to Asians during the second world war. You can find these pockets, but we, we have literally wholesale lost constitutional protection and rights across the country 
within every strata of our society, and, and everybody seems to – not everybody, but, but a good portion of the population seems to be okay with it, which is very troubling right. to me. Well, I, I think it's the way they've, they've – like they've shamed people. You know, they're like, oh, well, you just, you just don't care about, you know, so-and-so. Like I have a, a, a niece. Oh, I tell you what, I'm furious at my niece. Um, who basically she told my sister, her mom, that if she didn't get vaccinated, that she wasn't going to be able to see her grandchildren. That's happening all across the country. And, and that, I believe that is, exact, like, yeah, that is exactly the intent of these mandates. Look, look at it, you, you can do a poster. I'm, I know there's been a poster done of the people like Nancy Pelosi uh, like Gavin Newsom, like Fauci, like Obama, all these people that are pro-vaccine, pro-mask, throwing these lush soirees or going to dinner parties or going out to the French laundry and spending $1,000 a person on dinner with no mask, right? They, they are not afraid of this. They know this is a hoax, and they're using it for political maneuvering, control, and power. And right. we have a lot of Americans that have bought this propaganda. But the data is overwhelmingly showing that the vaccine doesn't work. It's got some very dangerous side effects. And when it does work, it, it isn't anywhere near as effective as uh, natural immunity. They don't want to give people, like in Europe, you know, you, you can get a vaccine card with natural immunity, right? People in America don't understand what's going on around the rest of the world because our media wow. is shutting out oh, the yeah. information, right? Which is another big problem we've got. You can't, it's, it's, it's hard. So think about this. You know, the mainstream media has been in the pocket of the, the leftists and Democrats for a long time. And then oh, we yeah. had social media, and social media allowed conservatives to start communicating with each other. And now they're shutting down social media. They're shutting down the ability of conservatives to communicate. And guess what? Nobody standing up to protect those rights, right? Even Republicans. Why? Because it works in favor of incumbents. They've got the yeah. name recognition. They've got the money. You know, Trump got elected because of Twitter. Let's face it. Right? He would have been shut down by the press, and he just went around them. And then they said, whoa, we've got to shut that down. Can't let that happen Yeah, that's again. why they hated him on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Right? And so you, you see them systematically shutting people down like Marjorie Taylor Greene, the big mouths, right? The people who are willing to stand up buck the system right and i'm thinking to myself wow man i'm 63 you know i was a kid of the 60s and the 70s you know the people that were bucking the system were all the lefties and, and now it's the other way around i feel like we've gone full circle right i mean you know abby hoffman certainly wasn't a, a republican conservative so, I mean, so, I mean, with the media, you know, the First Amendment and everything, of course, we want to, you know, respect the Constitution, you know, and freedom of speech. But 
what did we do? I mean, or let's say as a sitting senator, you know, what could you do to, you know, address the the abject lying and misinformation that not only the censorship, censorship when it comes to social media, but the outright lying and, uh, you know, that, that happens on, on these media outlets. I mean, how, how can that be addressed? Because I think, you know, a, a lot of our problems certainly, as you said earlier, are derived from a not just uninformed, uh, you know, population. We're a misinformed by our own bar- by, you know, by media outlets within the country. Yeah, and I mean, so, what, I mean, what can be done yeah. about that? I mean, how can I, I we make them accountable I, for their lies? Yeah, the, the, the Justice Brandis, who said the uh, the remedy for hateful speech is more free speech. I, I forget what the quote was exactly, but we have got to press for. First Amendment rights, whether it's press, religion, religion, redressing the government, redressing grievances with the government, what uh, you know, right to assembly, right to protest, whatever it might be. Those five in the in the in the first uh, 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 amendment to the Constitution, um, and we need to do it uh, aggressively. And I think that the, the solution to misinformation is more information more good information, but that's being shut out now. So in terms of social media, here's the way I look at social media. I look at social media as the 21st century town square. And so I would give, my solution would be to give social media companies, big tech, two choices. You can, you can waive your, Section 230, uh, um, uh, what would you call it? Uh, it's a, not a waiver. It's an exclusion in terms of uh, liability, limit of liability. You, you can, you can uh, waive your, your uh, waiver of liability, or you can be regulated like a utility. I'm not a big fan of, of regulations and codes and laws around that. Uh, the Bar Justice Department did have a recommendation on modifying Section 230. I don't know if we'd ever get that done, but we might be able to get this. You take the you you take the pick, and if you want to be regulated like utility because you want that that limitation of liability, those waivers of liability, great. We'll tell you how you're going to operate, though. Or you put yourself at the mercy of the courts for civil tort. If there's a problem, you know, if, if people believe they're being censored or being treated unfairly, I think that that civil penalty system would cause those companies to immediately uh, square up and fly right. We, we have to fight back against them. They're so big and so powerful, and, and it's the last bastion of free speech for conservatives to communicate with one another. Wow. Hey, uh, have you heard of the Sherman Antitrust Act? Sure. Yeah. Good. All right. And there are a lot of – so, so, so the anti, antitrust well, law – no, it's really interesting if you look at antitrust law. There are like two, maybe three major pieces of legislation that, that encompass all of our antitrust law. 
and it really hasn't been updated that much. And it, I, I don't know. Uh, I'd be interested in your perspective, Kelly, on whether you think that's the way to go with these big tech companies. Well, the Sherman Antitrust Act was created to restrain the power of corporations. And um, uh, what's his name? Let's see. Hey, Prince Philosopher, I'll, I'll get back to that. All right, let's get that for now. But basically, corporations have way too much power, and one of the reasons why our country broke off from Great Britain was because of the East Indian Trading Company. They had too much power. We didn't like it, and they even had their own militia, East Indian Trading Company. Anyway, so when corporations become way too powerful, it is not in the best interest of the people. And so Taft, President Taft, was championing the Sherman Antitrust Act, and so we we need to get into that. Well, the Justice Department is the ones that are supposed to do something. Uh, under Bill Clinton, the AG went after Microsoft. Um, you know, Ma Bell got broke up, the AT&T thing. That was another – we have had, but not enough. Bastiat, French philosopher, mid-1800s. He was writing about the terrible power of the corporations in Europe, and he compared it to America. But in Europe, he recognized and wrote that the corporations were bending the will of the government for their profits, and the middle class was, was fading away. And he said not so in America. Again, this is mid-1800s. But one of the summary statements was, and this is the law, Bastiat, the law, excellent read. He said, the state is that great fictitious entity by which everyone seeks to live at the expense of everyone else. And he was referring to the power of the corporations. Now, America doesn't have these problems. This is mid-1800s. But we have since gone way off track. Corporations have way too much power. I like your idea of – and I, I, too, am not a fan of regulations. But when the public interest is being harmed, and it's a corporation – Okay, because right. corporation is a merger of individual rights. Uh, the people uh, forming a corporation give a bunch of individual rights, whereas uh, and and for that exchange of their rights, um, the government provides corporate protection. Right. And in the early 1800s, you could not get a corporate charter unless you were. Uh, it was proven that your corporation was for the best interests of the people. Some guy right. filed a corporation called Murder Incorporated, and his mission statement – and he did it just for kicks. I think he was a law professor. Murder, Inc. got its corporate license, I don't know, it's like 10 years ago or so. And their mission statement was to uh, distribute uh, cigarettes for the purpose of killing people, <laughs> right. causing cancer right. and death and blah, blah, blah. And he got his corporate charter. So we have since succumbed to way too much corporate power. I'm actually an engineer, and I design homes, doing it for 20 years. And anyway, the uh, building code in California, they use the building code to force the sale of a corporate product. For example, insulation. Right. Oh, got to have a lot more insulation now. Banner year for Owens Corning fiberglass or whoever's selling the right kind like in the roof used to be R38, now it's R45. 
Okay, so if you just happen to get that code passed, and you just happen to be the first on the market with R45 insulation, you're going to make a lot of money. How about, tax, so, uh, how, about, how about tax credits for solar panels, the majority of which are manufactured in China? Ew. Or battery electric cars, forcing electric cars, 80%, 75-80% of those batteries made in China, made with um, rare earth minerals, that China has literally cornered the market on, with our help, by the way. What you're talking about has absolutely played out. And have you, have you heard of or have you read the book Woke, Inc.? No, no, I haven't. Okay. So that book talks about uh, – it talks about how – what you, just what you were talking about, Kelly, why, why, what the initial what, – what you had to go through to get a corporate charter in the past, what it's like now, and how uh, the corporations now are social justice machines, but they're, they're hiding behind that social justice to literally rape consumers because – they're they're not they're it, it, and shareholder they're they're not uh, they're not living up to their their commitments and and it's covering up malfeasance of other types and and he goes through an analysis of how this really started with kind of Occupy Wall Street Black Lives Matter. To, with the financial companies in New York, because remember in 2008 when we had the meltdown, you know, the, the word was uh, these banks are too big to fail. Well, you would think that if banks were too big to fail, we nailed them out, that something would have been done about that. What has happened with our banks since 2008? They've gotten bigger. Now they're they're even too much bigger to fail. They have bought up smaller banks. We have less banks in the United States by far now than we had in 2008 or go back to like 1970. We had thousands and thousands and thousands of banks, you know, one branch banks and things of that nature. And, and so we, we are, we are getting, you know, we're getting to the point where we're having this, this very, very massive con- con- concentration of wealth and power and control of the economy in a very few, relatively few corporations. And that, that's got some scary prospects to it. Uh, and if we don't take a look at that and decide what, what, wh- where laws are being broken and where that influence is being peddled inappropriately, we're going to have some major problems. Well, I, I mean, I, I, can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine having a meltdown like 2008 now and having to bail those oh. banks out. I mean, we're going to see, right. you know, we're like Venezuela already. We're seeing inflation we haven't seen in 20 or 30 years already. Can you imagine that? Wow. Um, so young people are buying a lot of the things Bernie Sanders has to say. 
Now, I think Bernie Sanders personally is a caring, decent guy. I just don't agree with his policies. Young people like Bernie and socialist ideas. Is the answer socialism or is the answer get the corporate influence out of our government, bring in the Sherman Antitrust Act, and continue with uh, the free market system? Uh, where people can get a job and, and, and possibly I'm, – I'm biasing the question here, I know. But if we can get the wealth out of uh, – well, if we can get corporations under control so they do not have undue influence on the government, is that better than socialism? I don't think there's any doubt about that, right? Socialism – you know what Margaret Thatcher said about socialism. It's great until you, know, you, run, you run out of money. You run out of other people's money. Right. So I'm a big believer in free markets. I'm a big believer in capitalism. But capitalism to me is like a tool. Right. And any tool. Think about this. Think about a hammer. You're in the construction industry or the house house engineering industry. You can use a hammer to build a beautiful home, a magnificent mansion. Hammers have also been used as a murder weapon. Does that mean hammers are bad? No, it means the person using the hammer was bad. Capitalism is the same way. Capitalism is a tool. Good people using capitalism with rules of engagement and having ethics and character and morals and and honesty and truthfulness will use that tool to its best and highest advantage. And it it made us, our economy, the envy of the world. But are there criminals Using capitalism, I mean, look at look at Michael Milken, right? Look at, uh, what's his name, Bernie Madoff. I mean, sure, but let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, I have, a different, I have a different opinion of Bernie Sanders than you do. Bernie Sanders is a giant con artist. Bernie Sanders is a multimillionaire. Do you know that Bernie, and Bernie Sanders' wife is part of this, his, his current wife. She and two friends formed a company to do media buying for Bernie's presidential run. He spent like 85 or 90, $90 million on media buys, and that 15% uh, commission that those bought from the media outlet went to his wife and her two partners. For Pierce profiles in corruption, there's a chapter. You now there's a chapter on all crooks, so to speak. Bernie Sanders is one of them. This is all publicly available information, by the way. Uh, so you can go into the book and you see it, and you can go search it on or Google, whatever your choice is, whether you want safe searching or not. Uh, and, and you can go out and find. Duck, duck, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I use DuckDuckGo, but some That's people think I'm up. I'm a crazy right-wing lunatic because I use DuckDuckGo, right? No, I'm going to be one, too, because I use DuckDuckGo. I don't use Gmail. I don't use Gmail. I use ProtonMail. Proton. Yeah, that's what I use, Proton, yeah. Hey, I want to change the subject a little bit. Sometimes I throw in some humor. Um, <clears throat> what do, you, do you believe in the right to arm bears? 
the reason why I ask that is because here in California, <clears throat> out here in the mountains, we've got lots of bears, and it's just not a fair fight. I mean, you got this bear, he's eating berries 300 yards away as a hunter with a 30-30. It's just not fair. Do you believe in the right to arm bears? <laughs> of course, I'm just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I, I'm talking the I Second Amendment. Like one, one of those malapropisms or something, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what's your thoughts on the Second Amendment? Um, I would be – I have already said in my policy statement that I would introduce legislation to uh, enforce a right I think we already have, and that's for constitutional carry in all 50 states without restriction – in terms of permitting or anything like that. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be gun-free zones like courthouses or whatever, but I think we also need to get rid of the folly of these uh, honor system gun-free zones. So a college puts up a sign and says, or a business, uh, no firearms in this establishment. And the good guys leave their weapons at home or in the car and the bad guys bring their guns on It's absurd. So if you're going to have a gun-free zone, you better have metal detectors. You better have some security. You need to start using some common sense. So um, that's my stance on the pen. And so, well, let me just make sure no one is confused on this point. Hello. Yes, Mark, uh, you're breaking up there a little bit. Sorry. Is that any better? No, that's okay. I just want to let you know. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was going to say, That's I, I, want, want, I want everybody to understand that um, in terms of the Second Amendment, it's not about hunting. It's not about trap shooting. It's not my, my focus on the Second Amendment. All that's fine, but I believe that the Second Amendment, the, 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 the initial reason for the, the Second Amendment being so highlighted and specific is that our founding fathers were worried about the tyranny of the government. And when people, when, when you try to explain that to some people, they don't understand. They're like, you're literally going to have an armed uprising against the government? And I'm like, no, think about it this way. COVID is the greatest example where do you think we would be right now if we didn't have the Second Amendment in the United States? Locked in our houses with a guard in front of our front door. <laughs> or people running around Whoa. sticking knees in our arms. Right? Wow. Look at our, oh, boy, you got a point. Look, you got a point. Look at Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Look at Australia. Australia was, oh, my gosh, that's frightening. Well, a little bit of history. I'm a history buff. Robert's also accused me of being a constitutional scholar. But history is, is just fascinating. And uh, the two things that happened why the Jews were um, was properly called democide, not genocide, but a race genocide. But when a government kills its own people, it's called democide. All right, two things of significance happened in the Weimar Republic, which turned into Nazi Germany. 1924, the Weimar Republic terminated trial by jury. Done. We're done. Oh, mid-1800s. And for some reason, 1924, oh, we don't need this trial by jury anymore. And then they started confiscating guns. 
and confiscating more guns. And then you, you had um, democide slash genocide. And I don't know how many people understand this, that trial up a jury. I mean, look, if I was on a jury in 1939, I'd say, he's a Jew. So what? Not guilty. So they lost protection. Stalin did the same thing. Got rid of trial by jury, 1918, Stalin and, and, and Lenin. They had – Russians had uh, trial by jury in the 1800s. So trial by jury, and then came gun confiscation. Some say 20, some say another 30 million were murdered. China, it was a republic, and they actually had a constitution for a while. But guess what? Let's just confiscate the guns. Same thing. And I, I agree with you. It's to protect us against a tyrannical – Government. Yes, there's going to be some nutcases. They're going to go out and shoot, shoot 5, 10, 15 people, but those numbers are small in comparison to tens of millions of people. I mean, yeah. Stalin, Stalin didn't take the guns until he could, and then he did. Hitler didn't take the guns until he could, and then he did. Mao didn't take the guns until he could, and then he did. Castro didn't take the guns until he could, and then he did. Pol Pot didn't take the guns until he could, and then he did. You add up the list, and this is used for the preservation of firearms. It's called the mother of all stats. It's a list, and it goes through all these countries. And we're talking 70, 80 million people killed at the hands of their yeah. own government after their guns were taken. It's just an incredibly consistent trend. Some say history repeats itself. I say no, human behavior does. Tyrants already yeah. have their playbook. They already have it. So I, you know, something I'm obviously very passionate about, and obviously you are too. So I think we got a nice conversation going here. So I'll, I'll be quiet. So you can. This is about you, but I'm excited to, to hear somebody running yeah. for Senate. I am excited. Somebody stepped out the plate. Somebody cited that wants to serve America and has got a lot of liberties figured out. I, I'm just, I'm excited. I, I, okay, I just got turned over to you. Someone who passed yeah. this constitutional challenge. <laughs> As you call it, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've passed a lot of those because, um, you know, I, I'm not going to call myself a constitutional scholar. I'm far from that. But I'm a big fan of the Constitution. So, and I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I, I'm a voracious reader or now listener to many things. Um, I, I like to dig. I'm an engineer by degree. I like, I, I've always loved to figure out how things work. And the Constitution is part of that. My conclusion on the Constitution, and I'd be interested in your opinions on it, is that the Constitution is, is a God-given document. In other words, if you look at our Constitution right behind the Bible, it is, a, a, it is amazing how long it has survived, right, and what it has survived and allowed us to survive. We... we you know, combined with the Declaration of Independence, we got the Revolutionary War, we got the War of 1812, we got the French and Indian Wars, we got this and that and the next thing. We got uh, the Civil War, the First World War, the Spanish-American War, the, uh, the Spanish-American War, the First World War, the Second World War, Vietnam, you know, all of these conflicts we've had. And we've managed to hold this thing together. This is a spectacular record. And I believe that the, the, all of, I believe that all the ills, I've had, a, I've had no one who could challenge this successfully. 
all the ills we have in our world, whether they be societal, cultural, uh, spiritual, financial, could be solved by getting back to the Constitution. And I keep saying to myself, there's no way those guys, no matter how classically educated and trained they were, could come up with this without having God helping them, you know, on their shoulder or, or guiding their hand in writing this document because it's a spectacular document. And it takes care of virtually every problem that you might run into in society. And if it doesn't, it tells you where to go to get the answers. Like, it's up to the state. Awesome. We'll go figure it out. Uh, I'd be interested in your philosophical perspectives on the Constitution and what you would liken it to or how you view it. Well, the rights that already existed, and we got a lot of our rights from the English, grand jury, trial by jury, um, the courts, uh, legislature, and when King George, and our, I've been reading judges' charges to grand juries going back to, you know, 1600s, but 1740s, you could see the judges adored the, the British system of law. And it produced a lot of civility, the rule of law, peace, etc. It's just that when King George went bad, the people that have lived under the freedom <laughs> that the English gave them, when King George went bad, they caught it right away and said, hey, we're out of here. And so the rights that existed in British common law or case precedent flowed into the Constitution, and then we had uh, wise men – codify specific rights in the Bill of Rights, um, rights that existed that's just going to be protected now formally, enshrined in stone. And so then we, you know, used to set up a government, the three branches of government, uh, Larry, Moe, and Curley. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, legislative, executive, and judicial. Um, and, and how to deal with problems, how to amend the Constitution. I absolutely adore the Constitution. You know, a couple little quirks that I would... I don't like that the attorney general was appointed by the uh, president. That's that's a big problem. But yeah, he has I'd way too much that. power. Yeah, yeah. But that, the Justice Department, Johnny Come Lady, eighteen seventy. Anyway, but yeah, we have had an incredible go from the rule of law and the, the rights protected by the Constitution, the power to amend it. We have a number of times, obviously. And regarding the formation of the Constitution, um, well, actually, there was four states that had a Constitution before July 4th, 1776. They were ready to lock and load. And But when they were developing the Constitution, as men do, they would argue and, 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 and dispute and voices raised, whatever. They'd stop and they'd pray. Then they would resolve, go to the next topic work it through, voices escalate, stop, pray, stop, pray. Of course, they pray in the morning, too. And, uh, you know, for some people that say, oh, they, they weren't really Christians or they weren't uh, God-fearing men, it's like, wow, you know what? It's really hard to get a church to have a prayer meeting, much less all these so-called atheists. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, I believe the Constitution has was inspired by God because man simply Asked him, and from that came the wisdom to develop uh, 
and and from that we have blessing upon blessing. Yeah. So that's some of my quick thoughts and on the background. Yeah, but it was a lot of history, a lot of a lot of human struggle, England, and rights were getting established there. They were being exercised. People were used to them. King went bad, and then the learning of human behavior, what humans were capable of, and and all the consequences and evil consequences, um, they put a stop to it and checks and balances, et cetera. So combined with human experience, combined with pain, particularly from King George, combined with prayer, and bam, we have this absolutely stunning document. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I never thought about the prayer breaks. I mean, I knew about them, but I never thought about them being an integral part of that process of constructing the document. What else? I, I've got some house guests here that are going to be leaving Thursday morning. I want to go spend some time with them, uh, but but I can give you guys a little more time here. What what else would you like to talk about? Know about me? Get my my perspective on. Well, one of the things uh, you know, talk a little bit about, and then but first. Uh, Okay, I just want to look at something here. Uh, you know, with your policies, with en- you know, with energy policy, uh, that you know, I like to talk about. Um, and are, are you familiar with a group called the LaRouche Pact? I am. Okay, then you're probably familiar with their uh, promotion of a crash program for nuclear fusion. Uh, at- is that something you're familiar with on how they're really you know supporting promoting uh that i I am aware that they are promoting some form of nuclear energy, and what I would say is we lost our way with an energy policy in the United States and nuclear a more advanced nuclear safer nuclear that that uh 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 is available today we we should be going after as fast as possible. Um, it's, it's close to renewable. It's, it's the closest thing to renewable energy. Uh, it's safe now. And it answers all the question of climate change alarmists. And I don't understand. I think they fight it so fiercely because they'd be put out of business just like race baiters have been. You know, racism in our country is a solution looking for a problem. And, you know, I mean, I'm all for drill, baby, drill, right? We should use our resources. But I also think we've got to be good stewards of the, of the world that God gave us. And nuclear seems to be one of the answers. You know, you didn't really ask that question. But and in terms of Ohio, we should be net energy exporters, right? We've got water on both ends of the state, which is a necessity for cooling, you know, nuclear plants. Uh, we should be generating much more power than we can ever use, and we should be wheeling it to Canada. We should be wheeling it around the country. I, I don't understand how, uh, how weak we've been as a country and as a in 
pushing for an energy I mean, we haven't had an energy policy. We've been talking about energy policy since Jimmy Carter days and gas lines. And and the, the closest thing we came to having a national energy policy was under Donald Trump. His national energy policy was, I'm going to make us energy independent. And by God, he did it. Uh, but it's like one of those things we talk about and talk about and talk about and never do, never focus on until there's a crisis. Uh, so an energy policy, policy, I think, is really, really important. And for Ohio, we're, we're a resource-rich state, fracking, coal, uh nuclear energy with the with the the water that we've got it, it, we we should be we should be a leader not a follower Well, one thing that goes hand in hand that a lot of folks don't think about uh, you know when when it comes to energy and energy policy is actually what would be an important way to get there is actually fully funding the Artemis program uh whereas you know Part of the Artemis program is to, you know, get back to the moon as well as make settlements there and why that's important to have for energy independence when it comes to to nuclear fusion or nuclear power is that uh, there's a compound there, helium-3, which is very abundant on – and we'll get to it in a minute uh, there, Joseph. There's a compound, helium-3, that's very abundant on uh, the moon, which you don't find – very much here on Earth. I mean, and that, I mean, we would need to harvest that in order to bring it back, as you mentioned, cooling. Uh, and helium thing would actually be, you know, as a component of the cooling systems, a large component for that matter, the cooling system for the the fusion reaction reactors. And as it, where it comes to the environment, I mean, there's definitely less now, radioactive materials, uh, you know, like you know, expended rods and things of that nature. Uh, that would be you have a concern for the environment. So if we're, we're talking about you know clean energy, and then also you know you know you see on your website you know building jobs. I mean I can't think of anything better than you know, creating that you know that crash program for nuclear fusion as well as fully funding. Because as a senator, you know bills will come before you for vote when it comes to funding, and I, I do think that you know funding those technologies and the Artemis program would certainly be an important part of that. Um, so is that something yeah, maybe I, you'd work with, you know, Senator Kelly from Arizona? That's if he's he's a Democrat, but if he's reelected, but yeah, I, I'd have to a, take, yeah, I'd have to take a look at that. I, I mean, I'd be willing to work with anybody on either side of the aisle on things that made common sense. What I'm not really interested in is is picking and choosing, and I think uh, we've got to be careful that we don't count on the government you know, get into the, the, the uh, mode of counting on the government to solve these problems when the free market could do it. But there are some things that I think, you know, only a government could do, like protecting the country, for example, right? We, we just couldn't do well, it I mean, without a quality of enforcement. Well, I know a lot of people think, well, but the Artemis, that's not, that's not, that, remember, there are, there is a, you know, partnership with, uh, you know, the private uh, companies as well. I mean, Elon Musk, which I'm sure you've been hearing a lot about lately, uh, with SpaceX is, you know, is, has a lot of input, you know, with uh, the, the new rockets that they're building. You know, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that there's a lot of involvement, private industry involvement, 
uh, as well. It's not purely right. you know, a NASA program. But, I mean, it does have to be funded. Now, the funding would come from, in part, by the government, So, but there's a part that needs to come from the government and then part that comes from, you know, private industry in, in investment. So right. I think it's part, you know, of funding the program. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we just need to be careful that we're not – picking winners and losers and we end up with more cylindras than we do, you know, men landing on the moon. Uh, I, I worry about that because the, the corruption is so pervasive now. And I'm not suggesting there wasn't corruption in government back in the sixties, but I think uh, the corruption industry has matured quite a bit since then. <laughs> And we need to uh, we need to eradicate it uh, uh, as 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 much as we can. It, it, it's going to be a, a a relentless pursuit of corruption. I think we we need to relentlessly pursue corruption because it's like uh, a cancer that goes into remission and then comes back, and when it comes back, it comes back more virulently. Uh, and I believe it's it's the root of many, if not all, of our problems as a country right now. Uh, corruption and politicization of everything. But that book, Woke Inc., I, I would highly recommend in terms of uh, understanding the change in corporations. And, uh, you know, we're in a different environment now with these big companies. Uh, the, the companies, if you look at the companies that were supplying even NASA, uh, the, the size of companies now that do this kind of work, you know, they rival the government, you know, not, not, not in scale, but compared to how big they were versus the government back in the 60s and how big they are now versus the government, kind of scary to think that you're going to put a lot of government funding into some of these companies that don't necessarily have uh, a, 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 an America first positive outlook on things. Uh, uh, well, and, and that being said, no, in part, I don't, in part, in part I don't fully uh, agree or disagree, but that being said, uh, what avenues are, are for, for large projects, expansive projects such as those, what would you uh, propose or suggest uh, to get those type of, you know, large you know, projects done? Well, I mean, I think you need government to kind of – so there are the – there are. I think what you're talking about are these kind of private-public uh, partnerships. And yeah, I, I don't think there's yeah, anything wrong with that. About, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think they work, but there. I think there has to be you – know, it almost you have to almost look at it as a joint venture between multiple companies, right? So joint ventures get formed all the time to do things, but there's typically some way to to unwind them, or there's a sunset of them. Like we're either going to make this comp company run, this venture run, and we're going to spin it off and make it public after X number of years, or we're going to pull it apart. It seems like sometimes we put these these partnerships in place and they're never ending. Um, one of the things that bothers me, for example, is the revolving door 
between military brass and the military industrial complex suppliers. Uh, you can go out and search the list of the 150 top executives in, you know, companies like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, or, you know, whoever the suppliers are, and who some of their key executives are. Retired generals, retired admirals. And you can see direct ties between, like, the F-35 program and the general who was pushing that, and then what he did afterwards. I mean, this is all publicly available information, and it's causing us to pay way more for our arms than we need to pay for them. Uh, it's, not, it's not unlike pharmaceuticals in the United States versus the rest of the world. Uh, we're getting taken advantage of to a large extent. And, and I think that we just need to get back to fiscal responsibility and doing smart things, not wasting money. Um, and now you got to go, so I appreciate it. So I'm gonna, before you go, I do want to give uh, Joseph an opportunity and want to chime in. So uh, go ahead, Joseph. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to say um, one positive ending to uh, 2021, which for sure was a very dreadful year for uh, many Americans, was the the major red wave we saw uh, in Virginia yeah. and flipping what was yeah. a traditionally blue state in Virginia all across the board. Uh, Republicans gained majority in the state house, the state senate, the governorship, the lieutenant governor as well. Uh, and I think that was an amazing victory. At the same time, as you well had a red sweep. As well as, as, well as Sorry, school boards. School boards. Correct, as well as uh, school yeah. boards. And on top of that, even in liberal strongholds like New York, you had a Republican sweep in Long Island. Uh, you had a city council uh, victory in Seattle. Uh, and actually, the, here's the kicker. Uh, the challenger to, to Governor Murphy in New Jersey literally lost by 0.5 percentage of a point. Nobody thought he had a chance. He came close to beating Murphy. Had the RNC invested more of its resources into that state, uh, I think uh, the challenger would have won. It would have flipped the governorship red. However, I do think the RNC is fully deploying all their sources into Jersey, realizing it could potentially be a, uh, a state that may flip in uh, 2022 or 2024. And most importantly, here's the kicker in uh, this race in New Jersey, never ran for political office. He was Edward a Jones. furniture truck driver for 20 years, and he defeated a Democratic incumbent in a very important chairman leadership role in the state Senate of New Jersey. And guess how much he spent on this campaign? Can anyone guess? $5,000. A hundred and fifty-seven. They hated the, the incumbent so much that he literally knocked on his doors and people said, we don't care what your platform is. As long as you're going to get him out of office, here's your money. And they literally handed him cash donations. And he tried to record a couple of amateur uh, videos on his um, uh, iPhone. Now, that's one in a cotillion, uh, to be honest. That's a very rarity where money 
uh, does not turn into a significant vic- victory. But, I mean, so there was a, a pretty momentum, momentous red wave um, in places like Seattle and New York and New Jersey where, let's just face it, the Democrats have their guard down. And this is a wake-up call for 2022. There's already a lot of uh, speculations that Nancy Pelosi is going to step down. Um, heavens, I hope she does. She's as old as a mummy. Oh, yeah. uh, because they know they're going to get a shellacking. Uh, I predict that this will probably be the largest landslide the GOP will, will take in the House. In the Senate, I estimate four to five seats will flip uh, red, uh, making and ensuring that the Biden regime is a lame duck presidency. And then the key will be the presidency of 2024. So I thought that was something positive to end the year, to be honest. Uh, you look around, not many people were in the Christmas mood this year. Inflation at an all-time high of 40 years. Uh, the economy is in the tank. So, you know, I would go to malls over the Christmas holidays, and they were ghost towns. Uh, hardly anyone put on decorations. Can you blame them? So many Americans are suffering and continue to suffer at the hands of these dangerous demagogues, these dangerous ideologues who don't give a darn about their constituency. And uh, Liz Cheney should take a, a page out of that playbook. The Wisconsin Republican Party last month actually voted to ouster from being a Republican member of Wyoming. And that was quite symbolic. And they voted and they had the votes. She is no longer uh, considered a Republican in her home state of Wyoming. And yet she wants to pull this January 6th baloney commission. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You want to dig your grave even deeper, Liz Cheney. Uh, now she wants to stand up for the left, the same left who called her father a traitor, a warmonger, a fascist. Now all of a sudden she wants to cuddle to the left because those are the only ones that will even give her any bit of attention. Let's face it. You, you pay the consequence if you betray the American people. Liz Cheney didn't care about the, the voice of her constituencies or constituents. She cared about her own voice. She had her own uh, uh, hidden agenda. Um, let's face it. The establishment have never been for the people, will never be for the people. And that's the most important thing for 2022 in the midterms. We have to make sure that we elect those who are loyal to country first. Country above party. Americans above party. We need to go back to being nationalists. Listen, we as a free leader of the world, we've been the most generous country by far statistically than any other. But especially during these troubling times, I think, Robert, you would agree with me, Kelly, and the guests on the show, we are not in a position to help others. We're barely in a position to help our own. Our people must come first, because if you were to go to any other country, including a third world country, if you even snuck across the border, they would deport you within 48 hours before you could say, uh, let's go, Brandon. Let, let, let's be honest, and these are third world countries. They, they wouldn't tolerate you saying or trashing their own country. They, they, they probably sadly lynch yep. you, even though no one wants to see that. But let's be realistic. We've been the most generous country the free leader of the world. Now it's time to help our people. Our people have to come first to self-preservation. 
So people, there's two sides to this, and Robert, you've been saying this for months, and I hate to say it. I wish this were not the truth because I would hate to say that America has come to it. But I say there's two sides. There are those who seek to destroy our country that was built, the foundation that was built by our founding fathers. They seek to destroy it and turn it into a socialist, communist country. And socialism and communism has never succeeded in any society even dating back to 4,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. And then there's the other side, the other side that says we are proud to be the free leader of the world, the land of the free, the home of the brave. We are the only country that's a constitutional republic, and we want to remain that way. I choose the side of my country. I choose to not change the ways of this country that's been for 242 years as a constitutional republic. People from all over the world come here every day. They even risk their lives to illegally come here. They want a better life while liberals are bad-mouthing this country. You know what I have to say to Don Lemon? If you don't like it, the door is there. Don't hesitate. But, you know, the reality is it's so easy for these liberals to say it because they're making a nice cushion half a million dollar salary and they're living in their mansions and they're just like the Hollywood elites. They're in their own bubble. They're out of touch with reality. And the Democrats are out of touch with reality. I'll leave you with one more thing. I find it ironic that AOC took a visit to Florida. Jeez, the state that she has continuously bashed for the longest time, including DeSantis and calling Republicans irresponsible for not taking safety precautions to stop the spread of COVID. So basically, let's lock down Florida again. But yet she had no problem vacationing there. And when she was found by the paparazzi, her response was, uh, oh, that's just Republicans who want to date me, who's giving me the hate. And I'm thinking, honey, you could look like Marilyn Monroe. You couldn't pay me enough to even get have you pour me a drink at the bar you came from before you were ever relevant on the political stage. Remember where you came from. Twiddle D, twiddle dumb. Give it back to you. Well, I appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on the show, Mark. Uh, we'll certainly uh, be happy to have you on again. Uh, just keep in touch, and uh, good luck with uh, your campaign. We certainly do need, and we've talked about this a lot uh, on the program, uh, citizen candidates. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Robert. Thanks to Kelly and Joseph and uh, everybody who's listening. I appreciate the opportunity. Love the conversation. I love these long-form conversations because uh, I learn as much as probably listeners do about me. I learn as much about, you know, just other perspectives, and it's very, very helpful. So thank you very much. Well, certainly. I tell you what, I still have ahead about one. I still had about seven more questions I could ask for our, our conversation, <laughs> but we'll, we'll have to try to save those for next time. But uh, you take care, and uh, yep. we'll keep in touch. Okay. Thanks for what God you're doing, bless. Mark. Yep. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care. Enjoy your company. Good to see you. Well, I tell you what, uh, yeah, speaking of Florida, they are uh, – I got, uh, you know, an in-law that's down in Florida now uh, uh, who – wasn't able to get the antibody, um, any clinical, uh, any monoclonal antibodies, or the monoclonal antibodies, because they really don't have them in Florida because the government is hoarding them, 
keeping them from, from Florida getting, getting these things. And I think that what they're trying to do is actually what they want, you know, the hospitalization and death toll uh, to go higher in Florida just for the very fact they want to try to make DeSantis look bad because he's either going to run for president or run for the vice president of uh, in 2024. So uh, I don't. I'm not a real big believer in evil, but if I could describe evil, I would say that's the Democrat Party. I agree with you, Robert. You just judge a person by their actions. Put a, put aside uh, ideology. Um, put aside um, your social beliefs. Put aside your political beliefs, and just base it on common sense. That's what I tell people all the time. If you don't want it to be conflicting, just keep it to the bare minimum of just on a common sense basis. And on a common sense basis, if a politician who is elected by the people for the people is getting up on the stage and demonizing America and demonizing half of the country for all the wrong reasons, uh, then I take issue with that. That That is the evil side. That is the wrong side. And demonizing us because we're doing everything to preserve our country as, an, as a constitutional republic. We're not interested in socialism. We're not interested in communism. It has utterly failed in every country that has ever implemented it. If anyone can cite me one civilization where it has actually succeeded, I promise I will never chime in on this show again. Okay, Robert, you could put duct tape on my mouth. No one will. It has <laughs> failed. You have people from Venezuela from uh, um, from Haiti who are coming to this country because we're a horrible country that's racist? Are you seriously? People on the left, have you lost it? You lost it, and you're out of touch, and you're delirious. Yeah, they're coming here, and they're telling you, Maxine Waters, you, AOC. Uh, yeah, if you think communism and socialism is so great, let's switch places. I'll take your citizenship, and you could take mine in Venezuela. Good luck with that. Let's see how long you last. Or in Cuba, uh, or in Russia, or in North Korea, China, um, Iran. Good luck. You see, that's the difference between those who seek to destroy a country. See, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Yeah, they talk a big game. But at the end of the day, uh, when people say, if you hate us so much, there's the door. If we're such a systemically racist nation, there's the door. And if we're so systemically racist, then why is almost every country on the book trying to come here at great length, even at risking their own lives of being smuggled? Um, you know, let, let's be realistic, ladies and gentlemen. There are so, only two sides liberals, to And how come there's liberals who say that, you know, well, if Bush gets elected or if Trump gets elected, I'm going to move to Canada. Well, why the hell are they still living here then? Exactly. They all said that prior to 2016, especially The View, Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg, oh, no. uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, all of them. Um, are they still in Canada? No, they're still here. So, I'm telling you, you know, it's amazing because... What Donald Trump did in 2020 is he garnered 34% of the Latino vote. That's the highest of any other uh, Republican incumbent in the presidency or, 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 or nominee ever. And so it's a clear consensus that legal Latinos don't appreciate the, the border crisis 
and the caravan and don't appreciate of what's being allowed to go on across the border. They fought and they played by the rules and the books to come here legally. And I give credit to the Latinos. They're very hard workers. They tend to be very successful entrepreneurs. And they'll tell you firsthand, we don't trust the Democrats and don't appreciate people cutting the line and just coming across the border. So here's the logic. So in certain states, you can be arrested or fined for not wearing a mask, but it's okay to illegally cross the border, not even be tested for COVID, worst of all, not be detained, and literally border control and ICE is saying, you see that village over there? Yeah, there may be some water and food. You're on your own. The hypocrisy of one side against the other. It sickens me, Robert. It sickens me, Kelly. It sickens me to the core. And you know what? They don't want this COVID to go away. Now we're talking about Omicron. Because for as long as they can maintain that this is a public health crisis, they can justify exerting their emergency powers. They don't care about hurting the people. So you, you, you could do everything they tell you to do, but they'll always come up with something else because their, their, their power is never ending. They want to hold on to that power. And it's sad and it's sickening because, okay, we wore the masks. March of this year will make it two years that we've been dealing with this. We did the vaccines. We did the boosters, right? Not all of us, but uh, I mean in the general consensus. And now, oh, Omicron. Now we have to have a new um, vaccine for the Omicron. And I'm like, you guys are going to pay the price for this. The American people will be your judge, jury, and executioner. Mark my words, this November, they will hold your feet to the fire. They will vote you out of power. And the writing's on the wall so far, Robert, about 30 incumbent Democrats in the House have already announced they are retiring. They're not even running. No, I I wonder why. Exactly. I wonder why. Because they probably want to leave with whatever legacy they think they have left. So I'm sorry, anyone who begs to differ, I'd be more than glad to have a nice conversation. But anyone who's telling me that there are more than two tails to this coin is full of it, is out of touch with reality. There's only two sides. You're either fighting for the fabric of this country, everything that it has stood for for 242 years. You're fighting for this country that has remained the constitutional republic, the free leader of the world. Or you're fighting to turn us into a communist, socialist state. Over my dead body, you can try. But as long as there's airs in my lungs, I'm fighting to preserve my country as the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I know we're winding down, so I'm going to get off and defer back to you. But, wow, time has flown. Time flies when you're having fun on this show. I'm really glad that we're back on. And, of course, we all have to get adjusted to the new time because we're just so used to, you know, having the after hours dark by midnight. It's going to be the after hours is uh, it's going to be starting at 11 now uh, from now on. Uh, am I correct? Actually, yeah, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, that's it. <laughs> oh, okay. No so now the hour after, after dark. dark. 10 o'clock now. <laughs> 10 o'clock. Got you. I got my my body has yeah, to get used to I know. Clock, but it's going to be weird. We would have only been we would have only been on for an hour uh, for from the old time. Um, but you know what? Yeah, I actually it. like it this way. You know what? You know why I like it this way? It's because, um, you know, if you have to wake up early in the morning, 
um, at least you yeah. could go to bed pretty early. And um, that's probably the, the one good thing you could take out of it. So that's one reason why I had to. They changed by the, you know, where I make my money because, unfortunately, this time I don't, I don't make money doing the sale. I actually pay money to do it. But, um, yeah, they, 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 they used to have me go in or people would go in on this time at one fifteen. Now I go in at 11.15. So that's two hours early. So I'm like, well, no more staying up to 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> When I see you know, if I got to be back in in work in the work at eleven fifteen, so stuck into work. So, but I think it might end up working out better for some of our guests. I know I tried to get uh, Jim Renacy on, but they said he couldn't be come in at ten o'clock. So maybe uh, and he's running for uh, for uh, governor. So maybe we'll uh, be able to get him on now that we had the show at eight o'clock. But um, just trying to get as many candidates on as we can, get the perspective. One thing I would like to see. I mean, you know, we've we've interviewed a lot of candidates on this show, and I, I do I do want to see a you know more. I mean, I like how we want to address corruption. We really do need to address corruption. That is certainly important. There's also other important points that I want to bring up with them. As I said, I had I had seven other uh, interview questions prepared for them uh, uh, for tonight, but we we didn't get to them. Uh, but anyway, you know, but one thing I. One thing that again, I, I mean, I want to hear something come out of some of these uh, candidates, you know, that is different, uh, you know. And I appreciate what they're trying to do. Appreciate what Mark's trying to do. Um, you know, I, I, we do, as I said, we need citizen candidates, and I've been saying that for a long time, and we do. I just want, you know, and uh, you know, when, when you you know, mark them up with other folks. I mean, we'll see. I'm hoping to get some, you know, more candidates as I said on. Next week we'll have Jack Lombardi back on the show. Uh, he's he's running as well. Now, not not for Senate in Ohio, um, you know, for Ohio, I should say. But I definitely had more. I wish I had more questions. I could have talked to Mark, and you know, perhaps we'll talk to him again before May. Uh, but one thing that I'm seeing is. Corruption obviously needs to be addressed. Our elections, which I think is definitely one of the most important, you know, things uh, that need to be addressed or else nothing can be able to get done. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk to him about, but I, I wasn't able to get to. And But I, I want to see candidates who have vision, like a vision. They don't say the vision of the future for, for America. They talk about, okay, we got to address this. we got to address that. And, and, yes, we have to address these problems that we have. Problems need to be addressed. And, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because um, I know these things such as, you know, you know, corruption and, you know, constitution, constitutional issues and things of that nature. It's, again, certainly the election. But I want some, you know, some to have vision, and that's one thing I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. That's why you, you keep hearing me bring up about, you know, things that are, you know, if JFK said, you know, we don't do these things because we're, you know, because they're they're easy. We do it because they're hard, and you know, I, I, and, and you know, I bring up, you know, I bring up a lot about, you know, 
getting a, a nuclear fusion program or, or, or going, this, you know, back to the space and the benefit. I, the, the vision, I, I don't think that every time I bring it up, I always see all the candidates bring obstacles as to why we can't do these things. I, I don't want, Correct. you know, I don't want someone telling me, give me a reason why you can't do something. Tell me what, I, tell, I, give I, me ideas on how we can. And, and I just, I just I, don't, I, see, I don't see that vision. Correct. I, I want to see I the vision the of the problem future, is, not let's just address problems. Go ahead. Correct. I think the problem is everyone is looking to be the next Donald Trump. Nobody is looking for the next Donald Trump. There can only be one Donald A. Trump. What propelled Donald Trump to victory was he was authentic and he was he he, he was himself. He wasn't pretending to be anyone else. That's why that's one of the major reasons why people love him. And he had a resonating platform and he had a resonating message. And that is what it's going to take for these challengers to oust these incumbents. That's what people are looking for. They're tired of people trying to be the next Donald J. Trump. They just want people to you know, be the uh, next Robert or, or, or uh, for example, Robert Jetter running for Senate in Ohio. Authenticity, and you have to have a platform. You have to have a solid platform, and, and, and at the end of the day, it has to resonate with the American people. And um, finding uh, candidates who have or possess those qualities these days are very rare. It's a rare commodity, and that's a problem. Uh, we have a large demand for candidates of that caliber, uh, but we don't have enough of a supply. Once again, I can't reiterate, nobody wants someone walking up there sounding, walking, and talking like the next Donald Trump. They want to see authenticity and a platform that is uh, going to resonate with them. That's how you strike the chord with uh, your voters and the people who have the power to elect you. Uh, and I defer back to you. I appreciate it. Go ahead, Kelly. You're going you're gonna to uh, bring something up? Say something? Um, I would rather be a Ron Paul or a Thomas Jefferson if I had to pick. Maybe a combination of the two. So... Uh, <clears throat> I got to tell you about uh, a little more humor here. The uh, transgender swimmer Leah Thomas is breaking records yeah. at, at University of Pennsylvania. Transgender, he's a man swimming. Of course, it's bad news for women. It's really sad, but I have some very good news for Leah Thomas. He will never have ovarian cancer. That's true. <laughs> um, uh, that's true. More cervical for that matter, but um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, the uh, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I don't know how funny that is, Kelly. I know you like to interject humor, but I don't know if I'll. I don't know if bringing that up and, and I can find much humor in that. I mean, it's, it's more true than humorous. Um, but anyway, uh, no, I'm looking yeah. for my. Okay. I'm not looking for more, but you kind of a you know, and part of JFK candidate. Now, of course, that was for president and not, you know, Senate or something like that nature. I mean, I know we do. Again, I do know we have a lot of, you know, issues that need to be addressed. I mean, that is for certain. Corruption is is huge, um, but I also want vision, and then also know that I mean, you know, what it takes to get, you know, what it takes to get things done, and. You know, sometimes you know. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe Mark's right with you know trying to get you know people to to, to put something together and then just 
once their mission's complete, so to you know, so to speak, you know, have it go apart. I'll have to look, you know, think more about that. But I don't know. I just want you know, bitch. I just I don't want people telling us why we can't do things. I want people to say, well, yeah, you know, tell us why, you know, what we can do and how we can accomplish it. Um, that that's why a lot of my questions tonight we're gonna we're gonna do is say, okay, well, let's say you're in office. I want to know what they. That's what I'm hoping for our next interview. Is I want to know what's going to happen when you're, and this is how I pose like those seven questions I want to ask them still, is that I want to know what they will do once they're in office. You know, you know, I mean, yeah, I got your personality. I get what you stand for. You know, I know what you say in the things of that nature, but I want to know, I want to have on record, you say, if you, if you were in this position, what would you do? What would you do to, you know, as I said, well, like one of the questions, you know, what would you do to rein in, you know, big tech or 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 hold the, or hold the media accountable? You know, I, I like to have that question answered. I mean, how can I mean we got so much misinformation? Everybody knows it, but how do you address it? I mean, I mean, but it's like, well, uh, you know, you're you're not creating, you know, have have more free speech. It was a quote, have more free speech instead of, uh, you know, it's like, well, these people are lying and they're misinforming and they're not, go- they're not going to stop just because there's more social media platforms out there. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You know, people, you know, they're not going to stop unless they're punished. I mean, I mean, look, look at what they did to Mark, Sa- uh, uh, that Sandman kid from Kentucky. I mean, they had the pony. And, it, and the thing is, these people – they had to pony up $250 million, CNN did. They paid this kid $250 million, you know, and, there's, and they don't stop. They're still lying. They're still misinforming the public. And I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I spend some, and I spend time on Twitter. And the misinformation that's out there and what, what places like CNN – and MSNBC has gotten people to believe is, is incredible. And, I mean, they're, I mean and, and by them lying to all of these people, it is, it is certainly having an adverse effect on this country. Because, look, I mean, look, who's in, look who got voted in the office by, you know, by hook or by crook, I think by crook. You know, and and then somebody hooked. I mean, because all, the efforts that the left did to steal the election, and I firmly believe that it's stolen. Um, then, you know, there had to be enough people to actually vote for that Yahoo. You know, for Brandon. I mean, Biden. Um, you know, in order for that chicanery to have worked. And then one of the things I wanted to also bring up, you know, which hopefully have him on again. Is I mean, you know, having experienced COVID not that long myself, and that long ago myself, and having you know some after effects due to COVID, um, I wanted to know whether he thought that COVID was man-made. Personally, I don't think this is a naturally occurring virus. I think I think the coronavirus is a man-made virus, and I wanted to get uh, get that. So. Um, so uh, Kelly, you're informing you're uh, informing me here that you got some updates. Uh, we only got about uh, wow six minutes. So give us some quick updates 
We probably won't have time for closing comments, but I certainly appreciate everyone coming on. Looking forward to seeing everybody again and hopefully more people next week. Uh, but go ahead, Kelly, with those updates, and I'll have to close things out. Okay. Well, with the election integrity issues um, you got, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and some things are happening. I watched live the Senate hearing in Arizona, and they withheld a lot of information that I had heard through somebody that was uh, on, the, on the ground floor. And that's because it's turned into a criminal investigation. So we can expect an attorney general of Arizona to put some people behind bars. Jump to Wisconsin, Epic Times, 100,000 voters, over 100,000 voters that voted were over 100 years old. They found that out Wisconsin. Michigan, the Dupree Law Firm is doing some uh, amazing things there with civil suits, and they found um, – modems and they also found uh, SQL database software that you can hack it, hack the machines and you're never caught. Jump to Pennsylvania. Um, this is uh, a court judge in Fulton County ruled, you will get these Dominion machines to the state legislature of Pennsylvania. The Attorney General of Pennsylvania, a Democrat, fought tooth and nail every way he could to stop this. Jump to Georgia. This came out last night. It was on Hannity, uh, Sean Hannity. And uh, the Attorney General of Georgia will now be investigating election fraud that was caught by True the Vote. True the Vote's out of Texas. They've done a lot of good work. They traced 242 people that were doing ballot harvesting, which is absolutely illegal in Georgia. And they kept going to a warehouse. They got pictures of them because, you know, these mail drop boxes. True the Vote put up cameras. It's a public place so they can do this. And the repeat person kept showing up. Uh, I think some of the average was like 20-some trips. So they'd go to the warehouse, go to Dropbox. Or what they'd do is they'd spread them out. So they'd probably go warehouse, Dropbox, 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 go back, get another load, Dropbox, Dropbox. So True the Vote not only caught them by cameras, they also caught them by phone tracking, which is, I guess, publicly available. They turn it over to the Attorney General of Georgia, and he's announced that he will be pursuing charges against these people, 240 people. And when you take 240 people, that 1,000 ballots, that's 240,000. Georgia would quickly uh, flip to Trump. But it's too late for that. It'll be enough to change the election laws. And then Chatham County, Georgia, I'm in contact with a guy. His name's Paul Nelly. I'd love to get him on the show. They're submitting a petition to Chatham County, uh, Georgia's grand jury, to which in the early 1800s, um, the grand jury there reversed the, ele- the election, found massive fraud, and uh, several state house senators or legislators actually had to get removed from office and even a congressman. The United States congressman was removed from office by what the grand jury did in Chatham County early 1800s. So what's nice is they'll have an example. we got concern, concern, and more concern. Now look what you're saying the same county did over 200 years ago. And so we're going to see some things happening there. Um, so uh, that's an update on the election and integrity. Um, there's more stuff going on behind the scenes that I'm not aware of or 
obviously they won't tell me because it's a criminal investigation. So what could happen here, all these states, a repeat theme, repeat theme, the Democrat Party could be over. And it makes sense why the Pennsylvania Attorney General, a Democrat, would fight to stop getting the machines turned over to the legislature because if it's exposed, the Democrats' party is done. So he would have no choice but to try to stop it with everything he can, and the judge says, nope, get the machines to the legislature. And so it's going to be really interesting, and it will affect the midterms, and hopefully we'll get this straightened out. Well, yeah, as you said, uh, it has to be for the next election, but, yeah, it's going to have to be. That's going to be another thing that is going to be exposed. I mean, Mark is right in that, that it did expose a lot of uh, corruption. But I do have to close out tonight. I certainly appreciate uh, everyone that's joined us. Please uh, share the link and uh, have people uh, meet us uh, here uh, next week uh, for next week's show with uh, Jacqueline Barty. And uh, I will end tonight, as I did every other night uh, when we had the show. And that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn, and we will see you next week. Have a great week, folks. Uh, Take care, and we'll talk with you then, if not sooner. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Good night.